Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. He steps up into the end zone in a crowd. No good. Picked off by Woods and it's over. Buffalo's winning. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Etienne picks his way, follows his block, and Burst still going. Etienne in the foot race, and he'll win it. Touchdown, Gators. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Quick toss from Xavier Worthy. Worthy is Sixty-five Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Jefferson, under pressure, and set. Flags everywhere, and BYU is going to win this football game. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Daniels on first down. Going to take a shot to the end zone. And Neighbors comes up with it. Malik Neighbors, outstanding touchdown catch from Jaden Daniels. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Well, good afternoon on this Tuesday, September the 19th. This is 365 Sports. I'm David Smoke. This is Craig Smoke and Paul Catalina. Today, Jack and Levi and Emery and Garrett Ross are about uh, helping us in running the mothership and making everything make sense. We are going to hear from Deion Sanders a couple of quotes on Henry Blackburn, the safety at Colorado State, plus also Travis Hunter, 
who's out for the next three weeks or so because of that injury and because of the hit. His thoughts about Blackburn. Uh, another note about Colorado's power. Craig will have off the radar with TV ratings. Injury reports from Missouri and UTSA and Kansas State with quarterbacks. Uh, the Earl Campbell Award announcing their winner, plus notes about coaches Jeff Trailer and Jeff Munkin. I think it was important, and I'm not saying it was something he had to do, but Henry Blackburn, the story yesterday about the death threats because of the hit on Travis Hunter, which was a late hit, a penalty that was thrown, and you can call it dirty, whatever, but Dion today calms that down, and here is a couple of the quotes. Here are a couple of the quotes. Dion Sanders, he made a tremendous hit on Travis on the sideline. You could call it dirty. You could call it it was just playing the game. But it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. This is still a young man trying to make it. He deserves not a, he, does not, he does not deserve a death threat over the game. Very unfortunate. I'm sad if there's any of our fans that's on the other side of those threats. I would hope and pray not that the kid was just playing the best of his ability. He made a mistake, I, so I forgive him. Travis Hunter, who was the one on the other end of that hit, he was asked about the hit from Henry Blackburn. Yeah, that's what he has right there. Okay. Uh, uh, Colorado uh, wide receiver Travis Hunter on Henry Blackburn's illegal hit on him. He did what he's supposed to do. It's football. He, of course, suffered a lacerated liver and said it's cool. And so Colorado responded to that, handled it in an incredible way, even though obviously it was a dangerous hit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that anybody's going to hold. Like, that's just how it happens. Colorado's going to have a guy cheap shot somebody this year. It's going to happen. It happens in the emotions of the game. That's what football is. Uh, and, yeah, I think it was it was great what, uh, what Dion said. His press conferences are... Uh, and I, I'm one, as you know, find pre most press conferences mundane, but he's made them uh, kind of interesting. He said some other things today uh, about Cormani McLean and why he's not playing, which were very direct and very frank about about that. So, yeah, good for, for Dion and, and putting a kibosh on that. Yeah, I think he handled it about as well as possible. I just hope some of the moronic fans who were deciding to take it to that type of a level uh, listened to him. Uh, although, if you are the type of person who's going to sit there and actually, you know, put out death threats based on a football game and a hit in that game, uh, that was debatable on how dirty it was, mind you. This wasn't like, you know, this was, you know, went and ripped the guy's helmet off and started beating him over the head with it, and it was, you know, super intentional. I think he was trying to make a statement early. I don't think he was necessarily trying to injure uh, Travis Hunter, uh, but I do think there was some intention. Uh, just maybe it went a little farther than expected. He sent a little statement, right, with a, the – a dirty type of a hit, uh, like you would hit a quarterback late, maybe early on in the game to try to set a tone. I think that's exactly what it was and nothing more. Um, unfortunately, it knocked him out for far longer than um, you know, we'd like to see. You wouldn't, he wanted to see him get right back in the, the game, but um, you know, now he's going to miss obviously uh, three weeks or so. And that's really unfortunate because he's a guy who's not just super valuable to Colorado, he's one of the best players in college football right now, or one of the most exciting players in college football potentially. So uh, that's a shame, but uh, kudos to Travis Hunter, kudos to Deion Sanders for handling that. Um, and handling it the way that they did to not make it something bigger or not to encourage, you know, more uh, vitriol and uh, death threats and things like that. I, I think that that's exactly what you would want your head coach to do in that situation. And so, uh, yeah, I salute Dion for uh, how he and uh, the rest of Colorado were, you know, taking this on. And I hope the fan base listens to him because, look, 
I sat there and was like, yeah, it's a dirty hit. Like I just said, I thought it was a bit of a tone setter, not necessarily trying to injure a guy. Um, but it would never cross my mind to go, you know what? I'm going to track down this guy's phone number. I'm going to find his family members and his address, and I'm going to sit there and try to ruin his life. I mean, what kind of just loser are you uh, to go to those lengths over something like that? Um, so I'm glad the adults handled it uh, properly. And, you know, hopefully Jay Norvell talked to you know, his guys and, you know, made it clear that that's not going to be acceptable either or that, you know, you can't have things that, that look like that moving forward. But uh, good on Dion in, in Colorado. All right. Also a note on Colorado. And I had one of the viewers of this show, but other people that, man, they're so tired of Colorado. You know what? You got to get used to it because mm-hmm. if they beat Oregon, it's going to ramp up 110, 100% even more before USC. They have earned the attention and the attention, which will Craig, Craig will get into on the numbers insanity with what they did for a late game. Every Colorado game, this is from Brian Howe. We've had him on many times during the realignment back and forth. Every Colorado home game is now sold out. For the first time, for the first time, Colorado football, which was a team that won a national title, uh, a team that has had really good football, is sold out every single home game. That's a good note as they now have sold out every game in Boulder. Well, that's what you would hope for, uh, given all the excitement level. I mean, if they weren't selling out at this point, I'd question, you know, what it would take to sell them out uh, at this stage. But, you know, another thing, and I get there's some Colorado fatigue. Uh, just for whatever reason, people don't like Dion is really the driving force in it. Let's face it, there's there's people that don't like him and don't like that he's uh, plastered everywhere. But uh, the TV ratings say otherwise. And, look, this isn't a show where we uh, – we, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a better term than the one I was going to use. We don't, it's not a, we don't chase clicks and We're views. not riding jocks yeah. over here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not everything's like big program, big program, big program, you know, sunshine pump, big program, and all of that. Uh, but this is a future Big 12 team. That's as right. Well. No, and that so, has a lot to you know, do with it, too. If Arizona yeah. State was popping however many millions of viewers will get to Colorado pop, and then we'd be talking about, you know, the same thing. There is a higher profile because it is Deion Sanders, but, you know, I get it to some extent, but at the same time, what, do we want to talk about Alabama some more? We want to talk about Georgia's, oh, you know, some oh, more? Damn. And we will, I we know, but, coming up but yeah, there's, yeah, there's some variety out there, and I think it's good. I mean, it's, I think it's good to talk about Colorado, who's not, you know, the team that's been talked about to death for, you know, however many consecutive years. Uh, the same five or ten teams that we talk about nonstop just as a, a whole, uh, you know, media conglomerate. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, their fatigue makes sense. But at the same time, you can't deny the popularity and the amount of attention he's bringing to the game that we all love that is college football. No, I actually, I appreciate it in a way. I think it's going to help with the kind of the re-education of the common fan on the way that you can do things in college football now because it's so different. And w- things can change rapidly. This is a 1-11 team that – probably could have done like a helicopter drop over the most populous area in Boulder. And somebody like, hey, who's going to clean up all these tickets? Uh, you guys just dropped all over the place. Now they're selling out. Um, with the new rules, you can remake a roster really quickly to make a team uh, go from completely irrelevant and forgot about to relevant. And he's doing it in a different way. He's doing it in a way that only Deion Sanders can pull off because he is Deion Sanders, but it's interesting and new and it's not the same old, same old. So it's going to make people reevaluate, you know, um, 
I think it also can make you more optimistic about your own program if you've struggled. If you hire the right guy, and now it doesn't have to be the right guy needs four years to recruit all his players and make sure that senior class is good, you can make your team good again, and there'll be more parity and more you know balance in college football. Yeah, it's it, it, talk about change. There's no doubt about it. Also, here are the non-conference records of Power 5 schools against Power 5 schools. The Pac-12 is off to a fantastic start. Seven and three. This is not the overall records. This is power five against power five. The ACC has played a bunch of them. 16, 50 and 50. Big 12, six and six. And I, I looked at that and when I saw Brett McMurphy's title, I'm like, my God, I don't even know what the, the record might be. Six and six. The SEC is off to what is a, a little bit of an alarming start at five and seven and the Big Ten right below them at five and eight. This is a very small sample size now you start to see a lot of teams get into conference games. There's still a trickle of a non-conference game or two. Now almost every game for Power Fives going forward, with a few exceptions, will be against each other in the same conference. Just off the top of my head, uh, I mean, the Big 12 better than I would have expected. I thought that would be under 500, just not, you know, knowing for sure um, in my head, just off the cuff, I, I would have thought that. But that's, you know, that's good to be about middle of the road. I think the SEC, that goes to show that there is maybe a little bit of a downswing, although I don't think that that tells the full tale. Um, I don't think that this really says a ton other than just who's getting off to, to great starts and who's, you know, obviously if you're winning a bunch of these non-Power 5 games, that can mean something. But at the same time, who are you beating? Are you beating Arizona State or are you beating Ohio State? You know, like there, there are major differences uh, when you're talking about the the Power Fives, it's such a broad label um, that you can get, you know, elite or you can get uh, bottom of the, the absolute barrel. So, um, yeah, I guess you can kind of view those however you like. Didn't realize the ACC played that many, uh, you know, non, uh, non-conference non Power Five opponents. That is a lot. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's cool to get just kind of a look at where things sit through these first three weeks where we're still, I think, trying to figure out a lot of things. But we've had some glimpses. And, and it goes to show you for the Big 12 of – you know, you drop a K-State with Missouri, but it's good to have a BYU versus Arkansas. And, you know, some matchups like that. Texas versus Alabama obviously leads the, the way there, uh, too. So, yeah, cool to see that kind of uh, coming to a wrap. I reserve the right to oh, – I'll just say I'm wrong if these things don't. But I may – my opinion may change. But if I had just based on the first three weeks, right now, the SEC is not getting two teams in the playoff this year based on the first three weeks. No. Because I don't know who the second team is going to be. Yeah, I don't know who number two would be. I don't know who the second team is going to be. And I think there are two scenarios of the Pac-12 likely to happen where they might, depending on how things fall, find themselves in a position to have an argument for two teams in the playoff because there's a lot of really good teams in that league. Or they might Big 12 their way out of it and beat each other just enough to where everybody's on the outside looking in and they're going, oh, damn. Yeah. No, I, I that those numbers surprise me. I know that I've seen some of the the SECs off to a little bit of a shaky start, and and they are because there's probably been some years they might have been ten and two rather than five and seven, but they are. They're losing. Although Missouri had the nice win against Kansas State, so there we are with that. The Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award, Caden Salter, quarterback who played at Cedar Hill High School, was named the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award National Player of the Week. 300-yard passing game, first time in his career, 344 yards, five touchdowns in their Liberty's win against Buffalo, 55-27. to He also had 66 yards rushing. Uh, his career best five passing touchdowns were the most for a Liberty quarterback in a game since 2020, has led the Flames to a 3-0 start. They're good. Liberty is good. And he's a graduate of Cedar Hill High School just in the South Dallas area. 
Yeah, good to see him getting some uh, positive attention. You know, he's somebody that was a pretty nice recruit coming out of Cedar Hill where they're a bit of a factory for for prospects. And uh, obviously where Joey McGuire built an empire uh, that eventually led to him, you know, being at Baylor and then at Texas Tech. Uh, But Salter was a guy who went to Tennessee and got in trouble and uh, got dismissed from Tennessee and found himself at Liberty. Uh, Forgiveness and all that, I suppose. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, turned into a situation where he got uh, the opportunity and he seems to be taking advantage of it. And I hope that, you know, uh, things are going well for him and that he's learned from past mistakes and go on and thrive because he's a really good football player and he had a, a really nice game and, and that's why he's getting the honors he did. But, uh, yeah, he's a, that's a program that, you know, gets attention and then doesn't get attention and, and, you know, just they're kind of in a weird no man's land, I feel like, in some ways as far as, like, our cover, We don't have really a lot of reason to talk about Liberty, so to speak, but I definitely kept my eye on him, and, and he's had a really good uh, start for them going back to last year, so we'll see what else he can do moving forward. Anton said, hey guys, Syracuse, Rutgers, Wake Forest also 3-0, and Fresno State How about that? beating a Big Ten and a Pac-12 team. They're also 3-0, and and both those wins were on the road. Otherwise, programs out there you could talk about a little bit more. Anton, thank you for the suggestion. We appreciate your time. Now, UCF opens up against the defending Big 12 champions. K-State, we saw what happened against Missouri, and they're also having the walking wounded. This from John Kurtz. Daniel Green out for the year. Ward, doubtful, the transfer from Florida State. Will Howard, questionable. He could barely walk around in that game against Missouri, and he's a mobile quarterback. So the Missouri game, about as costly as he can get. He goes on to mention that John Kurtz, and they host UCF coming up to open up the Big 12 this Saturday. Yeah, I'd like to see that with, you know, Will Howard versus John Rice Plumley, but that doesn't appear that the matchup that we're definitely not getting it even if Will Howard plays because John Rice Plumley's still out. So, um so that's kind of a bummer that we're not going to see that anyway, but to not see either of them potentially would be a huge bummer. Uh, it makes that one uh, even tougher to pick. Well, I think this uh, definitely raises alarms in Manhattan, Kansas, about what's going to possibly happen this weekend and what could happen moving forward if you can't get healthy. Um, that's that's a bunch of tough blows for them. I mean, Daniel Green, that's an awful loss uh, for them. I know that they're going to try and – see if he's interested in getting yet another year seventh year um yeah. you know that's possible uh, obviously don't know how that'll that'll play out in the long run especially with those types of decisions and that was obviously a hot topic this past uh, off season but you know being at k-state it's not like he's some like fly-by-night transfer that's trying to get in at the last minute so maybe he gets the uh the extra year there if he wants it too you know that's the other part of it but that seems what they're going to look you know, at right now for him, but that's that's a big loss for their defense, and no doubt about it. And then Treshawn Ward uh, to be banged up as well is uh, is even worse news. And then Will Howard, we kind of knew that already, so that's not adding on even further. But uh, it does strike a bit of a blow into that potentially sexy quarterback matchup that Paul mentioned. That's now what. Uh, I mean, anything but, really. I mean, we'll see on Will Howard ultimately, but uh, definitely not what you thought it was going to be when, uh, you know, you started to preview the season, and that's unfortunate because I do think at full strength that'd be a really fun game, and now it does create some questions. Uh, I still, I think, lean Kansas State just being in Manhattan, but um, at the same time, if you're without Trayshawn Ward and you're without Will Howard or he's iffy uh, based on what we saw last weekend, and then you had Daniel Green into that mix as well, just team-wise, they are the walking wounded very early in the season, and um, that's that's some uh, 
That's some uh, areas to tread lightly. And UCF fans, you'll bring up Plumlee among some other dings and dungs. Here's a note from uh, Canelio, and then we got to get a couple other stories. Daniel Green, not really a huge loss. He's been a part-time linebacker. D.J. Giddens is the starting running back, but Ward's potential loss this week is a blow because of what he can do, not just as a running back. Uh, Pete Thamel had this story. Brady Cook, who I was impressed with, making the throws. Missouri's win against Kansas State. Questionable for their game against Memphis in St. Louis. Dealing with the knee injury in a game, the, uh, in, in that game against Kansas State. Yeah, but Treshawn Ward, I want to go back to that. That's one of your big guesses. So that was the headliner. That was the newcomer of the year, if I remember correctly, yep. in the Big 12 voting. So maybe it hasn't, you know, his play hasn't popped the way you expected just yet. But I do think he was obviously a big part of their plans. And now entering Big 12 play, uh, would you rather have DJ Giddens and Treshawn Ward or just DJ Giddens? And I think you'd like to have Treshawn Ward in that mix. So, yeah, that you can overcome that. I mean, K-State and running the football, they'll find a way. I think the Daniel Green thing is not so much about, like, oh, my gosh, you lost, like, your all – American, you know, star. It's uh, I think just the emotional side of it, the the the, the hurt for the guy uh, for from the K State side of things of just you feel terrible uh, for him to to be going through that. So I think that's where, um, you know that that pain for the Daniel Green injury comes into play is just you know feeling bad for the guy and um, and that type of a deal. But yeah, I mean they, they're not injuries that they can't overcome. But you know you start adding those up and then you start to go, okay, well. They better find some some health bonuses here soon or, you know, find other ways to win, and I'm sure that they will. That, But that does make that game against UCF a lot more interesting, just having those those variables in play. By the way, uh, on the UCF game against Boise State from UCF Realist, Plumlee's out, but our wide receivers had two separate easily catchable balls on the goal line that resulted in picks. But uh, thanks for the uh, note, UC Realist. Jeff Trailer's been in the news, a couple of different things. Frank Harris, who came back, uh, their their heart and soul has been uh, not playing well. He is day-to-day, according to Jeff Trailer, uh, turf toe, injured in the first half against Texas State in Week 2, missed the Army game. Trailer stresses that he wants to play in a game that both teams need to win with Tennessee coming off the loss to Florida. And then on top of that, after the game was over, Trailer was very down. I mean, it's probably as down as I've seen him, and I've known him since he was like 25 years old, in talking about uh, he was disappointed, it was on him, a lot of the mistakes, a lot of things they did, uh, play calling, etc., that was on him. And he made a comment that there has to be an easier way to make a living. He then, of course, maybe took some heat for that, and he came back and said he's grateful to be the coach of the Roadrunners because everybody thought that he was trying to act like there was something better than UTSA. That's not what he meant. He was frustrated as hell. He's going to be out of there soon, based on the way this is shaping up. I mean, yeah, when you start to nitpick like that, your coach's comments, that's when you know things aren't going very well. Would you agree with that? Uh, Because I think it's very clear to to understand what he was trying to say. They're going through a rough patch, and it's not an indictment on the school he's coaching at. But when people start to take those types of things that way, that's when you start to wonder if, like, is it getting a little – little weird, you know, and especially with the start that they're off to. Um, you can feel the pressure kind of building there. And I just wonder for Frank Harris, you know, I don't know what his NIL deal ended up being, and I don't know what options he really has beyond that. But if you had a redo, knowing what was going to happen, at least at the start of this season, would you have come back for, you know, yet another year? Because this has been, you know, not at all what you had uh, no. planned. And, and look, maybe this was still his best option in hindsight's twenty twenty. but, man, this is not at all what I, I thought was going to happen for UTSA, at least to start the season. No, absolutely not. I, I thought it was going to be um, a lot different. But, you know, they, they did, like, you know, they lost Zachary Franklin, and that, mm-hmm. that's been a huge thing, too. And they, you know, so, yeah, I, I, Frank Harris has not been 
you know, he didn't play well and he's not been healthy and not available. So there, that's just put them behind the eight ball a little bit, but you know, it's still early and they could still win their league. So I think yeah. that, you know, uh, everybody's stressing out, you know, I know it's right now, but they, they still have a shot to win their league. So, yeah, I mean, they can, they can definitely still, yeah, I mean, obviously they can still win their league. I think these didn't expect that they're probably gonna be one in three after this weekend yeah. going to Tennessee and, you know, Oh, Frank Harris is coming back and, and you just think that you're gonna you're gonna have seasons like you had these past couple, and, and you're already gonna be in most likely a one and three hole, which is a uh, not super familiar territory or exactly up to your expectations. But at the same time, maybe it is because you knew and we knew when we talked to Jeff Trailer of that first month of the schedule was absolutely freaking brutal as far as on paper goes. Um, you know, Houston they're so so to to probably bad, um, but that was a tight game that you lost there at the end. Uh, obviously, UTSA is an improved team, but you were I mean, uh, Texas State's an improved team, but you were able to beat them. Uh, Army's a problem for everybody that they face, and now Tennessee. So that is a, a tough first month, and you knew that you probably weren't going to come out of this unscathed. But one and three, and Frank Harris hobbled. I don't think is is what you no, thought it, was going to happen, and especially with what's yeah, you got Tennessee on the road, and they're man, they're angry at the world. Uh, Brett McMurphy had this one. Uh, a quick note, Army's Jeff Munkin, who's a heck of a football coach, just beat UTSA, has signed a contract extension. He started back in 2014 when Army was just bad. Uh, and uh, extension through 2024. All right, so there's most of what we have when it comes to the headlines a little bit later on. Oh, Garrett, do you have the Puka Nakua? Let's put this one up as we close it out. We'll come back with Tony Caridi on West Virginia he has the most catches in the first two games in NFL history. First player in history to have 10 receptions and 100 yards in each of his first two games as a pro. That was a brilliant draft pick by Les Snead and the Rams. Uh, and I was telling Levi earlier that uh, I got down to – I'm was in. i in four fantasy leagues, Smokey, as you know. I've got a problem. But – and oh, one, you need to talk to Phil Mickels. And, and yeah, and one of the and one of them, I had to do the draft like in July because it's this national league. And it came down my last pick, and it was Justin Ross of the Chiefs and Puka Nakua. And I picked Justin Ross, and I am kicking myself now, loser, because yeah. because Puka Nakua. It's a league you can't. It's a, it's a best ball league, so you can't add players. So it's all about the draft. And every week, it just shows the. The chart on Puka Nakua is going up, and none of us can have him. It's just well, that's your fault, Paul. Yeah, I know. You, you made it. I you, doubted Puka Nakua. You, you and took I, Ryan Leaf, yeah, in, instead of Peyton Manning. He's getting off to such a good start. I'm going to be tired of him in about two weeks, based on how much people are talking about him, because that's how much he's he's already you know been uh, been an impact. Uh, you know, obviously fantasy wise, but just you know regularly as well. And uh, yeah, couldn't. I'll be happy for the guy. I you know don't know him, but definitely picked up on his game a couple of years back because Baylor BYU and all that, and just looking into the Cougars and then moving to the Big Twelve. And he was a guy that immediately caught your eye, and uh, you could tell that oh yeah, that that dude's got some talent. Didn't realize he'd be like you know on fire straight out of the gates as far as an NFL player goes, but you knew that yeah he could go, he can play, and uh, to see him having this type of early success, you just hope it's sustainable and. Uh, you know, that's a great thing for BYU to have to, you know, promote and to showcase yep, and yep. Uh, to show off. And so, yeah, that's awesome for him and awesome for BYU. And let's just hope that he keeps it up. But what a great start. We will have uh, West Virginia, Alabama, and Florida over the next three segments. We have Craig's Off the Radar, UT color analyst Roger Wallace, who just after 5 o'clock on Texas as they head into Waco this weekend. 
the great Earl Campbell, the Tyler Rose will join us tomorrow in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, Paul's top five as well. And don't forget, every weeknight at 1030, this show in Sports Tonight, 365 Sports Tonight on The CW. When we come back, Tony Caridi, the voice of West Virginia. What did that win, other than in the loss co- in the win column, mean to West Virginia, to Neil Brown, etc.? They have Texas Tech in town this week. Tony Caridi is next. 365 Sports. Stonewood Daniel Robinson, Texas, where I went last Thursday morning when my front bridge just all of a sudden got loose. It was a little bit of a traumatizing situation, but I, I saved it. I text my dentist. It was about 5.30 in the morning. He texted me about 20 minutes later and said, make sure you get to the dentist office this morning when we open up at 7.15. I did not know what was going to be the end result other than the fact that I was like, uh, I don't. This is embarrassing. So I went to work out, kept my mouth shut for once in my life, and then went to the dentist and Dr. Childress looked at what was going on, had a game plan, and helped me get everything where it needed to be. Now, I have future work to be done and probably might include implants and yet another more permanent bridge. But he was spectacular. And my God, I couldn't have thanked him enough. Dr. Steve Childress is my dentist in Stonewood Dental in Robinson, Texas. During Jeep Adventure Days, Alan Samuels in Waco is celebrating with an incredible line of 2023 models like the Grand Cherokee, Renegade, Wrangler, and Gladiator. Come see what Alan Samuels can offer you and your family and find the Jeep SUV that fits your lifestyle. Looking to connect with Baylor alums in your area? Baylor alumni can help. Looking to host a watch party in your city? Baylor alumni can get you started. Want to step out in your community and serve with other alums? Baylor alumni is your connection with the university and each other. Let's get started. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses, but when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one-size-fits-all strategy. Ben Erlinson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why he takes the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Ben Erlinson, 100 North 6th Street in Waco, 254-759-8533. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. 
Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 and they have never wavered with their focus on great product and customer service, relationships with a handshake, making sure you, the customer, is satisfied. Their new facility is now twice the size, allowing new inventory, higher quantities, and in a much more organized fashion. In addition to the long lengths in tubing, angles, channels, rods, and flat Pioneer Steel and Pipe now offers several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut. Their 2,500 square foot showroom has over a thousand new products in stock, new welding supplies, hardware, quickcrete, and do-it-yourself components for any project, whether you are a professional contractor or weekend warrior. The new facility is designed to make your loading experience faster and more efficient with easy drive lanes around the building and much more room to get your trailer loaded. Our location may have changed, but our values haven't, and our relationship with customers goes much farther than just business. Pioneer Steel and Pipe on Loop 340 and Highway 6 and just east of I-35 in Waco. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. Tony Carini, voice of West Virginia Athletics, and what a win. For the Mountaineers against Pittsburgh, the rivalry, the backyard brawl, but also a critical win for the program. And Neil Brown, Tony joins us on 365 Sports. Uh, We had Phil Bennett on yesterday who was at Pittsburgh for three years. He discussed that rivalry and how bitter it can be. What is it like, no matter the situation of needing the win, what what is it like, Tony, when they just beat Pitt? Oh, it is a it's an absolute sigh of relief across the state of West Virginia. You got to remember, you know, because West Virginia does not have any professional teams, this is 55 counties in the state and all 55 counties and the folks from there are focused on this game. And so when you get the victory, it's huge. It lasts obviously for the minimum of a year and uh, it was a great relief. And then you throw into the fact that, you know, because of the situation uh, that we have this season, you know, that was a massive win biggest game that Neil Brown has coached at West Virginia was this past Saturday. They were able to get through it despite the fact that they lose their starting quarterback just six plays in. So, Tony, how much does that buoy Neil Brown moving forward? I mean, obviously he's got to win most of the rest of them to, to make people convinced that he's turning it in the right direction. But just being the biggest rival alone, does that give people the sigh of relief? Yes, and I think that, to answer your question, Paul, if if it hadn't happened, then I think that could have been a massive mark uh, against him going forward. I think what Saturday did was keep everything in play. Uh, We're in a rare rare three-game homestand right now, which culminates on Saturday when Texas Tech comes in. And I thought all along, that you had to win these three games uh, before you go out on the road because you're going to have TCU and then you're going to have an off week and then you got to go to Houston. So you're going to have back-to-back road games. I really think that, you know, it's it's really important. It's not must, but it's really important, I think, to have a good season to go 3-1 and one before you go back out onto the road. Tony, so Garrett Green gets banged up uh, early on in that game and 
Uh, you know, this was not a pretty offensive game by any means for for either team, but Nico Markiol comes in there and gets some uh, gets some uh, time. What were your thoughts on, you know, just that situation to begin with with Garrett Green, but also what you saw from uh, Nico Markiol and, and what they can expect moving forward? Well, knowing the significance of the game, to see him go down, actually he got hurt the fifth play. He stayed on the field, handed the ball off, and then went down in a heap on the sixth play. So knowing what was at stake to see that happen, it was like this isn't happening. And so that was bad because Nico um, just hadn't been into that type of a situation. He played against Oak State last year, but it was in a complete rainstorm. But here you have, you know, this massively important game. But I watched Nico in practice in the, in the August month, and I watched him in scrimmages. He has it. He has the ability. Um, they didn't do anything with him during the game because they just wanted to be careful um, not to try to overwhelm him. So they reduced the play sheet. As you guys saw, it became a 1977 or a 1980 <laughs> football game, right? Yep. Um, when games were 17 to 14 and 17 to 10. And Neil just kind of saw Pitt's struggles on offense, their inability to move the ball. And he said, okay, get the lead, get the ball, run the ball. And that was just old school football. It probably brought a smile to the face of our former coach, Don Nealon, because that's how he used to win games. And so I think this week, uh, with a full week of practice for Nico, if in fact Garrett isn't going to be able to go, they will widen the playbook out. And I do think he's got abilities. The only thing he does lack is experience. He can he can throw the ball. He's a hard-nosed kid. You guys probably have seen, you know, he was highly recruited uh, with big boy offers. And so it's there for him. It's just a matter of getting comfortable. But once he gets a rhythm, he'll stroke the ball downfield. He'll be fine. Tony, you mentioned the importance of the win, obviously the rivalry too. They have tech. Do they know exactly what they're going to get from Tech? Do you know? Could, did they, they, you know, they played well against Oregon, but they had the disappointing ending against Wyoming. Yeah. And then next last week against Tarleton, they're going to blow them out. It, it, they're going to throw the ball all over the place, right? Yeah, so this has been a really weird series. So this is West Virginia's 12th year in the league. And West Virginia lost the first two to the Red Raiders when they got into the league. And then they won five in a row. And then they've lost four in a row. And two of the games were close, and two of the games were blowouts. And among all of the teams that West Virginia plays, Texas Tech is the one that makes Neil Brown scratch his head because for the life of him, after they lost um, the first go-round in Morgantown, 38-17, to this was a 19, he thought, well, the next year uh, they're going to come out and they're going to ball, and they went to Lubbock, and they get beat 34-27 on a late fumble that got picked up and returned. And so then they come back to Morgantown in 21, tight game, but the Red Raiders went at 23-20, so it sets the scene. Okay, now you got revenge on your side next year. They go to Lubbock last year and get absolutely worst performance of the year, just boat raced 48-10. to So this one has bummed him out, and they have worked. He said yesterday, we've worked since the winter. Uh, figuring out how to slow these cats down. Because as you guys know, uh, they play really super fast. One of West Virginia's keys so far this season is they literally have been making almost like hockey line substitutions on defense. They've been changing out four and five at a time to keep their D-line fresh. Believe it or not, guys, they're playing 10 defensive linemen and they're rotating them. But you also know that if an offense doesn't make a substitution, the defense can't. And so that's one of the big keys this week is to try to find a way to slow these guys down. It's something that has perplexed them in the most recent meetings. 
Tony, um, three and one heading out of this. You said that that's that's where they have to be. How confident? Yeah, do you think- so that's where that's where that's where Tony would like them to be. If they have to be, that's where Tony would like them to be. Like them to be. So they're three and one heading out of this, and then you look at what's happened down the line to the, to some of the teams. You know, Houston struggling moderately with their roster. Oklahoma State doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be. Do you think right. the outlook has changed for a lot of fans, even if they are say two and two heading out uh, down the line of the Big Twelve? Yes, Paul, I do. I do. I, I, I this kind of surprises me what we've seen um, so far from some of these results. I mean, the Oklahoma State game, um, and they have to come here uh, in October, makes you scratch your head, among some others. So, yeah, I do think that um, it sets up nicely for what West Virginia needs to do uh, to take another step, uh, for Neil to be retained. Uh, I think it does, uh, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but, again, I would like to be 3-1. and one. Uh, going back out there, but I think there are opportunities here. And, you know, uh, you just don't know other injuries. You know, you see it every week. Unfortunately, it's not a matter of if a team is going to suffer through injuries. It's a matter of just when and who it's going to be. So you keep your fingers crossed that you can stay as healthy as possible. But, yeah, I think there are wins uh, on this schedule. Uh, As Neil said at Media Day, guys, and you were there and we talked that day, uh, one of the first things he said was we're not going to finish 14th. We were picked 14th, and I I think that can be a realistic thing. Yeah, he was he was pretty emphatic and kind of in an angry mood about a, a few things, I think, because he felt like they were so disrespected. If you look at the conference, Paul kind of brought this up. Iowa State lost their quarterback before the year began, although the other guy uh, was also in a battle with him. Kansas State, it looks like Will Howard, who was very much almost like limping badly in the loss in Missouri. Baylor lost Shapin for a, a, another week or two. You mentioned uh, West Virginia's injury, and then Oklahoma State, I don't know if they know who their quarterback is. It really is. It's already the attrition, and we're only three weeks into the season. I know. I know. It, it has been kind of crazy. You're right. We haven't even got into the meat um, yet of the schedule. And I mean, You guys know this. Uh, sometimes teams have seasons uh, where they just get crushed by injuries, and it just never materializes for them. And then at the other time, uh, you have seasons uh, where a team stays particularly healthy, and, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, that's their advantage. And so you just you just never know. That's why a lot of times those preseason predictions, uh, they maybe are just preseason guesses, because you're just not sure where and when and the folks are going to get hurt. Tony Caridi, voice of West Virginia Athletics, with us after a critical win against Pitt. Tony, thank you very much for your time, and good luck with Tech, uh, with West Virginia Tech this weekend with the broadcast. Hey, can I make a request? Yeah. Yeah, next time I come on, so you guys keep using that picture of me on your box. I'm watching it on YouTube right now. Um, it's, it's a winter. You got me. You got me with a winter jacket. I mean, can we? Can they like? Yeah, can I have a no. seasonal? Like I come in. I come in like September. It's more fall. Maybe a light vest. Sure. And then is the season like November? Can I get a winter coat and then that kind of a thing? But look at the picture now on the screen. I don't know if it's changing. Dazzling, huh? There you yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. There you do go. You, do you have a calendar shoot that we could maybe use? <laughs> sure, yeah. I, can, I, yeah. I can get you. i tell you what. The nice thing about that suit that I'm wearing there is I had to return that by 11 the next day, and I was able to get that back. <laughs> I don't want to hang up on this without congratulating you on the Hall of Fame. That that I saw Thank the note you. about that. That's amazing. That, that That says a lot for what you've done with the school, but also how you do it. Congratulations on that. Thanks so much, guys. Always fun to be with you. I appreciate it. Tony Caridi, voice of West Virginia Athletics, with us on 365 Sports. Love to talk to him. He's been a great person to get to know 
from the time West Virginia started and joined the conference. Yeah, really happy that West Virginia's off to a good start, and it was a long and trying offseason in many ways. There's a lot of question marks, and, I mean, there's still going to be more. I mean, look, we're only three games into the season. I mean, there's so much more to uh, to see what unfolds around the league, but uh, it is a, a mess as far as the quarterbacks go in this league already. I mean, it's not half the league, but it's, what, a third of the league's yeah. already got – starters missing multiple games or missing time or just not being healthy in, in Will Howard's case for at least right now um, so yeah West Virginia's been bit by that but it's a uh, you know still an opportunity as he said that I guess Garrett Green you know isn't ruled out officially but uh, we're gonna see Markio a lot and you know he was the big time signee for Neil Brown big time prospect for them so uh, excited to see more of him and that'll be a, a great challenge against Texas Tech. If that game was in Lubbock, I think I'd just right away say Texas Tech, even though they haven't been overly impressive either, and they have their own quarterback issues, quite frankly. But with it being in Morgantown, and uh, you know, just based on what we've seen so far, that's another opportunity for a win. Uh, you know, I'm curious of, of how Tech attacks uh, the West Virginia offense. I'm also curious to see that West Virginia defense, which appears to be pretty good, but you know, against an offense like Texas Tech's. Because in the first game against Penn State, you know, that, that kind of went about how you thought it might go. But these last two weeks, um, you know, they've uh, kept the scores low. Now, granted, it might be the competition. Uh, it might be, you know, Pitt doesn't have a great offense. Uh, but, you know, we'll see, uh, I think, a good deal more uh, on what to think about this defense. And I, I already think positively about them, but I think we'll get more evidence as to, to how good they might be coming up this uh this Saturday against Texas Tech. So, yeah, they're in a good spot compared to where you thought that they could be at this point, and I'm excited to see what else they can do with this. Yeah, I'm happy for Neil Brown and West Virginia fans. They've been waiting for something to kind of feel a little feel good. Joey Foster, I think, sent me a note, was it over the weekend, about how thrilled he was, and good luck with them. Obviously, uh, Texas Tech with Joey McGuire in a team that needs to kind of get themselves uh, positioned well after the loss a couple of weeks ago, two weeks, three weeks ago, to both Wyoming and then to, obviously, highly ranked Oregon. When we come back, Mike Rodak covers Alabama. A team meeting, a quarterback change, and was what was going on in the game with USF? Did that have anything to do with the Nick Saban naming a different quarterback? That and more, and this is 365 Sports. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. And if you can't make it to Riverbend, DoorDash is available to bring it to you. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive at North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Do you or your kids get nervous about going to the dentist? Stonewood Dental, Dr. Steve Childress, he can help. I've spent a career taking care of patients who, as children, had bad experiences, and now they're adults that hate going to the dentist. If I get a kid at three years old, 
and they come every six months, and it's a happy experience. It's normal for them. Now they have an accident at six or seven or eight at school. Now they have a broken tooth or a trauma, and they have to come here. They're used to lights. They're used to water in their mouth. They're used to experience. They already trust us. It's amazing what we can do with that kid without it being a negative thing. But if I see a six or seven or eight-year-old that's never been to the dentist, and now they have a trauma or an unfortunate, unexpected toothache, it's harder to do that for that kid and it not be somewhat of a negative experience. So bottom line is I try to teach kids and adults and teenagers everybody the way I'd want my family treated, which is where it's a necessary part of life. You just take care of it. It doesn't have to be that big a deal. Learn more. Stonewood-Dental.com. Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors 104 Midway Center in Woodway or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, Warm. Welcome home. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254-339-1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco. A hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. Mike Rodak at Mike Rodak on Twitter. 247 Sports covers Alabama. Joins us on 365 Sports. Mike, thank you very much for your time with Paul Craig. And I'm David Smoke. The uh, the players meeting after the performance against USF, you can't do that a lot. You can't have another one in three weeks. You got to have like one of them, and then it better work. What was it about? Just clearing the air, or maybe something else? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like it's never a good sign when there's a players only meeting. It's it's kind of a, it's I don't want to say a death knell, but it's never been a, a good point in any season that I've covered on on any team that I've covered. So. Uh, just to hear that in the first place was a little bit alarming. But, um, you know, there's there's different theories and, and there's been different things that have come out in terms of, you know, what actually was the reason for it. Um, there's a, a lot of evidence, I'll say, that, you know, it wasn't a great week of practice for Jalen Milrow, that he didn't handle uh, the benching uh, very well. Um, and there's there's also been some suggestions around here that, you know, maybe players were – you know, there was favoritism towards a particular player. I think, you know, Jalen Milrow is certainly well-liked on the team. Um, I think players supported, you know, what he did in Texas. And um, I personally don't know if there's as much support for, for Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner. So, um, you know, we, we got some hints and some clues from players on what exactly was the reason for it. But, um, you know, togetherness is is one of the words that came out, you know, from, from Tyler Booker as one of the team leaders when he was talking about that, that players meeting. So, uh, kind of rallying around a single quarterback and not trying to have different um, opinions, I think, is, is really their goal. Mike, how did they go from 
the, you know, just go into the refrigerator and take another quarterback out to what they're doing now. How did Nick Saban, of all people, get caught in this situation? Yeah, it, it's been messy. Um, and I, I think the big question, and I, I mean, I, I don't know the answer personally. Um, I think only Nick Saban knows this answer, is whether he was already planning on having his other quarterbacks play in this South Florida game, knowing that South Florida has been one of the worst teams in college football the last couple of years, even though the game's on the road. It's, I mean, it was a 50-50 crowd. Um, in Tampa, and, and you can get away with at least seeing what you have in Tyler Buckner and, and or Ty Simpson in that game, and it might have been something that was already on his mind maybe even before the Texas game, um, you know, before Jalen Miller threw the two interceptions. So um, to know exactly, you know, what Nick Saban's plan was, if it was different than what was, you know, kind of put out there publicly that, um, you know, he went with a different quarterback just for that game, it's hard to say, um, but it, again, I, I, th- I don't know if it had the best effect on the players. I think it is a little bit of a whiplash effect where you're going from one quarterback to the next, and, um, th- and I think that's the reason why Nick Saban came out yesterday you know, to, to start the week of the Ole Miss game instead of waiting until the end of the week and just say Jalen Miller was our quarterback this week to stop the, the game that he was kind of playing for a while in terms of, you know, we're going to continue to evaluate the position and we're not going to give out a depth chart, et cetera, et cetera. He did that the entire fall camp um, and just kind of, again, have one name, one guy that, that players can kind of get behind. So, Mike, he's now the guy. There's no disputing that, uh, and, and that's all cleared up for the time being. Uh, so now, having seen what we've seen, I mean, everybody watched the Texas game and saw how feast or famine that was and then obviously the, the, being replaced. Uh, what do you expect uh, them to do in regards to Jalen Milrow and, and how can they get the most out of his game? Yeah, I mean, when they first got Jalen Miller as a freshman two years ago, they mostly ran read option stuff with him. And, and he was really a, a running quarterback who all the, you know, scouting reports and everything Nick Saban would say a couple of years ago that Jalen Miller needs to develop as a passer. And I think he's done that to a certain extent. I mean, we saw him connect on some deep passes against Texas, um, even in the opener against the middle of Tennessee. He, you know, he had some pretty good deep balls. Um, so he's gotten better, but he's still. You know, his, his biggest strength is still his, his ability to run and his ability to escape. Um, so, you know, maybe we see them drift a little bit more towards that sort of offense. I don't think they're going to run the triple option, but uh, maybe some more design runs and, and trying to use him in, in that way. I personally don't know if Nick Saban wants to do that. I think Nick Saban wants to run more of a, you know, an RPO spread type offense that he's, he's run with other quarterbacks that he's had, but you know, this is kind of what they have. And, you know, I, Saban wants his quarterback to be a point guard is what he always says and not a shooting guard and um, avoid the big mistake, distribute the ball, don't try to make the big play when it's when it's risky. I mean, Milrow's kind of the guy that, that seems to want to do that um, more than Simpson and Buckner. And, and to their credit, Simpson and Buckner didn't throw any picks on Saturday. It was terrible besides that, but they didn't throw any picks. And, and that's really what gets Nick Saban mad. So if Milrow can avoid the interceptions, then he's going to be in a good spot. If he does throw a couple interceptions, you know, is this completely shut down and we're not going to ever see another quarterback? I don't think so. Um, but, you know, it's I, we'll have to see what happens Saturday. I think it would have to get really bad for Milro to get pulled out of this game. I can't imagine with Nick Saban, his head would explode. One, that they're not playing well. There are also too many penalties. It's just not right. But give Texas credit for what they did and perhaps the others – but for him, if there's any inkling that maybe some players on Saturday in Tampa 
just didn't quite get all locked in because of the quarterback decision. What would that, that would would that not make his head explode based on what he thought what he thinks about the team? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a strange spot, um, and you know, obviously, what you hear from players in terms of we're going to rally behind every guy, and you know, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. I think we all know as humans, like that's probably not the truth. And each of these guys kind of has their own opinion and their own favorite in their in their own head. So, um, you know, I've I've covered quarterback controversies and competitions before and this is sometimes what happens and um you know it it, it divides teams and it um you know causes confusion and, and kind of causes problems so this is something Nick Saban I mean I guess he's dealt with it before you know it's been a while you know you had to hold Tua and Jalen Hurts thing but that was kind of picking between two really good quarterbacks so that's not really what they're doing right now uh this is probably closer to like 2015 when they're choosing between you know, Jake Coker and Cooper Bateman. Um, and, you know, they won a national championship that year, but, you know, they had Derrick Henry that year, and they don't have Derrick Henry right now. So I think it's going to be a little bit harder for him. Do you think he regrets not getting in the transfer portal earlier? Uh, you know, I, I would imagine they were trying. Um, and, you know, as we all know, a guy doesn't necessarily have to go into the transfer portal. There's always kind of back-channel ways of, seeing if a guy's interested, you know, in coming somewhere. And I think Sam Hartman even said that Alabama, you know, when he was in the portal, he reached out um, when he was leaving um, Wake Forest. And, you know, I, I think the prize for Alabama would have been Drake May. You know, he was committed to them out of high school. He ended up flipping to, to North Carolina. You know, obviously as a top two or three quarterback in college football, you know, I would be shocked if they didn't, you know, kind of back channel and then see if he was interested. Obviously he stayed. And, and I think Tyler Buckner was further down that list. It's like NFL free agency. You kind of have to work your way down. And Buckner was, was probably more in, in the bargain bin. Um, and that's what they were able to get. And it was after spring practice. I think Buckner's kind of been behind the eight ball in terms of trying to learn the offense. And, uh, and you know, we saw the results of that on Saturday. Mike, uh, so who's calling plays for the Alabama defense after Lane Kiffin stirred the pot this week right in advance of this big game on Saturday? Yeah, that was a little bit interesting. I you know, I, I don't immediately dismiss Lane. I, I think there might be some truth to what he saw and, and what he was saying, and I don't necessarily think right away that he was doing it to cause a distraction. It might be a um, an unintended benefit you know, from him, but – um, you know, it was something where it was a very strange situation. The South Florida game had the lightning delay, and then ESPN cameras came back, but their camera guys couldn't go back to their station. So there was a static camera showing that game, and you could see all what was happening on the Alabama sideline in between plays. So you could see Traveris Robinson, the secondary coach, is down on the field. He had his play sheet. He's signaling calls to the defense, and that might have been what Ole Miss saw um, on, on that TV copy. And Kevin Steele, who's a defensive coordinator, his first year is up in the booth. And so you're, you're playing against the South Florida offense that, you know, has Tennessee offensive coordinator and Alex Golish. They want to run plays every five or seven seconds to try to have Kevin Steele in the booth give that call down to someone on the field and then get that out to the players in five seconds is pretty tough. And so I think, and then Saban alluded to this himself, they kind of had to streamline things to get the call out quicker which is where I think Robinson was probably taking more of a, you know, a front end role. Um, so, you know, Ole Miss runs pretty fast too. They could do the same thing this week, but I don't know if it's necessarily a, 
a coordinator change, and that's you know obviously something that Nick Saban pushed back against himself. So there's obviously been a lot of uh, you know angst as far as you know how Alabama's looked this far, and that's led into you know a lot of people thinking Ole Miss is the choice uh, this week uh, because of, of what we've seen from Alabama, but also what we've seen from the Rebs. What are your thoughts going into this game, uh, you know, Alabama and Ole Miss, and, and where do you kind of stand on you know who, who uh, I guess it should be favored in this game? Is it, is it as dire as it's been made out to be on the Crimson Tide side of things? You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they won, but I, I'm a little bit surprised that the line came out. I saw some places initially, like 11 points. I think that was really high. Oof. And then some other books came out at like six or seven, you know, later on Sunday. I think that's a little bit closer. And, you know, three or four might even be where I put it. And, um, you know, it's it's close to a push. It's one of those games that I'm really interested in watching. And, it's you know, it's been a good series um, the last three years since Lane Kiffin's been there. That's number 2020. That was like one of the highest scoring, highest yardage games ever. Mm-hmm. It was 63-48. And then there was a ton of hype coming into that game the next year. You know, Lane Kiffin coming back to Bryant Denny, and they just completely flopped. Ole Miss came in, tried all these fourth down conversions, and it worked. Game was over by the first quarter. And then last year, Ole Miss went up 10 nothing in Oxford. And Alabama came back. Ole Miss had a chance at the end of the game, drove down the field to the 19-yard line, and they could have won it. And – you know, they got stopped. So, I mean, Ole Miss has had some chances to beat Alabama, and I think this is probably their best one that they've had under Lane Kiffin, given where Alabama is and, you know, kind of given where Ole Miss is with that offense and, and Jackson Dart. <clears throat> Mike, thank you, man. Appreciate your time. It's been obviously a long time since Alabama was in this position. A lot of streaks have been broken. Ole Miss this weekend, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Mike Rodak covers Alabama for 247 Sports. In this position at two and one, and favored still over oh, Ole Miss, all, but no, I mean they're not going to make a ball game. In they're this done. Posi- yeah, they're they're screwed. They're not going to win six again. No, I mean in this position of not having a future first round pick at quarterback. Yeah, I mean that is foreign territory for them, and um, you know very uh, curious to just see how Jalen Milroe does now that he's got the the tag and he's the guy and it's clear that he's the guy so yeah uh interesting how we kind of got here yep but even more interesting is that matchup this weekend uh that's gonna be fireworks and i can't wait to see uh, another chapter of old miss in alabama especially kiffin versus saban it's gonna be fun it will be a lot of fun those two go at each other <laughs> alabama's problem is like they go like right now they're their fans are like well i always get a rolls royce when i go to the rental car place and like <laughs> yeah. well we have a cadillac for yeah. you and they're like this is disgusting. Lowering themselves. (laughs) When we come back, we'll hear from Edgar Thompson, who couldn't join us yesterday because the SEC suspensions came down for some players in that Florida-Tennessee melee. It wasn't quite that. It was close to it. That's next on the Gators' win and how they beat Tennessee. This is 365 Sports. Pioneer Steel and Pipe. They have product, pipe steel metal. They have a brand-new building they opened back in December of last year. The, the efficiency that was already good about people, you, the customer, or contractors going by to pick up the product they have is even better than ever before because now they have even more bays. They have even more opportunities for you to drop by with your trailer, your 18-wheeler, with your pickup truck. But the bottom line is, is 1943. That's when they opened their doors. They have seen it all, been through it all, and here they are thriving Bigger, better, faster, and stronger at PioneerBoys.com.
Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC an equal housing lender. It's another time to speak with Samantha Duvall from TexasBeefHouse.com. Handles the marketing and someone that you will talk to a lot when you do call for the great product of the Texas-raised Wagyu beef. It's college football season, tailgating. It's a big deal. People love to put beef and pork and chicken, etc. on the grill. Let me know what you have. We've got everything. If you've got a morning game, you can get our breakfast sausage or our bacon. You can tailgate with some breakfast tacos if you've got an afternoon or evening game. We, of course, got our hamburger patties, their half-pound patties, four patties to a package, and we even have jalapeno and cheese patties. They're amazing. They'll blow your mind. Just that extra flavor, not too spicy. They have a high-heat cheese, so they don't melt on the grill, and our patties don't shrink up on the grill either. Anytime you order, use our code SICKEM10 to get 10% off your order of $100 or more. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate. That's Samantha the Duval, TexasBeefHouse.com. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for. Try the Sikkim sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. Did you know that one out of every four men have symptomatic low levels of testosterone and don't even know it? And if you think you're too young to worry about it, guess again. Low T levels can make you feel tired and grumpy, raise your cholesterol, and cause weight gain. Petty Clinic Low T can set up same-day blood screening and results. So if you're tired of being tired, call or go online at PettyClinicLowT.com. It's a private clinic with an atmosphere catering to men. Affordable, only $165 a month, including lab work, office consultation, testosterone injections, and follow-up visits compared to $300 or more a month in Dallas or Austin, and you don't have to drive 90 miles one way or the other and fight the traffic. Petty Clinic Low T has board-certified physician consultations and will provide the best form of brand-strength testosterone. Contact Petty Clinic Low T for increased energy, improvement in sexual desire and performance, mood, concentration, even a decrease in body and belly fat. Just off Highway 84 and Old Hewitt Drive in Woodway, PettyClinicLowT.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. We had Tony Caridi, West Virginia, voice of the uh, Mountaineers, on what it was, a win for West Virginia. They needed it. Neil Brown needed it. They got it against Pitt. 
in Florida. And Billy Napier needed one, too, against Tennessee, and they got it. We're joined by Edgar Thompson. The Orlando Sentinel covers Florida on 365 Sports. What, what kind of a lift does that give Billy Napier in the program? It was pretty much a must-win, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, I don't think coming into this season, people had Tennessee, a Tennessee win, pencil win for Florida. They didn't have many pencil wins for Florida, but winning that game when you really are coming into that week and you got people talking about crazy scenarios, even coach prime to Gainesville. I mean, it's it, it gone completely off the rails. The performance at Utah was an abomination. I mean, it was not how you want to open the season. It was sloppy, uninspired football. And it really put the microscope on Billy Napier in this program one game into his second season. So was it really, was he on the hot seat or anything like that? No. But was he losing faith of the fan base? Sure. Were the money people at Florida starting to maybe put their checkbooks in their back pockets and take a wait-and-see attitude, lose to Tennessee, very likely from what I was hearing. But, you know, this just energizes everything, and they look good doing it. They just didn't luck out into this game. They outplayed Tennessee. What um, what did you see on the field on Saturday that, that should buoy fans' hopes for them to string some of these together now? Well, the defense is like night and day. You know, Florida from 2009 to 19, I was writing an item on this, was top 10 in defense nine of those years. Then starting in 2020, it just fell off the cliff under Todd Grantham. Historically bad that season, ending with 250-point games by Alabama and Oklahoma. And then 2021 was pretty mediocre, but okay, I guess. Last year was horrific on third down, 129 to 131 in the nation, and just breakdowns, uh, poor alignment, just just discombobulated on defense. Then you get a 29-year-old coach, Austin Armstrong, to come in here after two paychecks at Alabama, where he's been hired as inside linebackers coach away from Mississippi, Southern Mississippi. Southern Miss, where he served as D.C. as a 27-8 year old. And just the energy, the approach, the, the teaching the defense, um, just the connection to players. All this stuff just changed from the previous coordinator, Patrick Tony, who's now in the NFL coaching safeties with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he was phlegmatic. He was, you know, kind of just didn't connect with players and was very cerebral but obviously didn't communicate well enough to get players in the right spot armstrong's chest bumping guys he's running around jumping in people's arms he's a lunatic on the sideline and plus off the field stays in touch on a group text and talk uh reaches out to players all the time and one of them yesterday said he's like having your best friend and when you got a coach like that, you want to play hard for him. And as we know, defense is clearly about talent, scheme, but effort ranks right up there because it's all about pursuit, forming, and all those kinds of things. And 
they're doing it so far. I mean, long season ahead, but so far they are just flipped the script on defense. Edgar, how surprised were you by just their overall performance and just like a, a, a you know cross enemy lines type of situation? What were your thoughts on what you saw from from Tennessee? Well, you know Tennessee, the first series just ran right went right down the field against Florida, and they play that tempo. They set kind of a little bit of a pick on one of the plays. It's a good route, but, you know, that pick always gets a little kind of squishy there, like, is it a pick or not? And they scored, boom. And it's like, well, maybe this defense is kind of not as good as we thought it was going to be. And then they really bore down and held Tennessee in check at a lot of critical moments on fourth down and things like that. But what I really saw from Tennessee was they don't have Hendon Hooker at quarterback because Joe Milton can make some really great throws, but he also seems to miss on some. Certainly doesn't have the running ability Hooker had who torched the Gators for 112 last year. To kind of, He was the difference in that game um, up in Knoxville last year when they beat Florida. But the other thing was just undisciplined. You know, the Swamp, I've seen it before. I've been covering the Gators a long time now. They can rattle guys. I saw Joe Burrow throw three picks here in 2018, including a pick six. Guy had five on the entire season, three here. Bo Nix fell apart completely here. Fell apart at other places as a freshman at Auburn in 19, but really just awful here. Uh, Drew Locke came here in 2016, leading the SEC in passing, threw two pick sixes, 39 yards, 18%, 18 passer rating. So the Swamp can rattle people. They had five false starts the other night. They had an offside on a fourth and one when the Gators really weren't going to go for it from their 34. But guy jumped. Just, you know, Milton was rattled at times. They had to take two timeouts in their first series of the second half. So the swamp showed up, and it's I take it for granted. It's like, you know, I used to live in Albuquerque, and after a while the mountains are just there, and then someone <laughs> visits. They visit, and they're like, wow, man, it's pretty cool here. And it's an incredible setting, that part of the country. But it's a swamp. I've been there so many times and seen so many games with high energy. You do kind of take it for granted. But they showed out in force the other night, and Napier needed that. The fans needed it. And now I think they're going to get some other great performances from the fan base, you know, during the course of this year. Despite the struggles – they have put together one hell of a class for 2024, like in the top. Depends on where you look at. There's like now seems like more than ever these rankings. I'm looking at rivals. They're third. How much of a boost do they – they don't have a lot of room left, but they do. How much of a boost does beating Tennessee, you think, give them? Tremendous. There are a bunch of recruits there. Part of the challenge is keeping classes, too. You can have the third-rated class here on September, you know, 19th and i'm not sure what day early signing is let's just say it's december 19th a lot can happen man between now and then a lot can happen on the eve of early signing day in the age of nil uh you know more so than ever uh guys can flip so keeping a class is paramount this is the kind of game that helps you keep a class you bring your top guys from that class, plus some 2025s and things like that that you're recruiting. They see an environment like that. The other thing they see, guys, Billy Napier, man, is playing 
the guys that earn the playing time. This isn't a status quo thing, or you were here, or we thought you were going to be this and brought you in to be that. Even behind the scenes, and I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee you they're paying some guys pretty well who aren't playing and maybe getting paid better than some of the guys that are. So you have young players, Jordan Castell, an Orlando kid, started his second game at safety, 10 tackles, one pass defense. Well, R.J. Moten, Michigan kid, legacy Gator, his dad was a linebacker in the 80s, Ron, he's not barely playing. Uh, Derek Wingo was a big recruit a few years back. Big things expected from him finally after some injuries and not really finding his footing. He hasn't been playing at all. Scooby Williams is like starring. He's like the, he's like the new star of this defense. Shamar James, another kid. He's a new Mobile Alabama kid. He, these guys are, both of these guys are Alabama kids. Birmingham and Mobile starring for the Gators. So they got both of them out of that, you know, state to come here and they've been very good. And, you know, they're just young guys all over the field. Trey Wilson, uh, Eugene Wilson, the second son. He was a starting safety, two Super Bowl rings for the, with the Patriots back in 2003-04. And he got dinged up in the first quarter, and that's a big loss. And we'll see how long he's out, bruised collarbone. But that kid, the first six targets of the game were this guy. I mean, this is week three. Billy Napier, they evaluate talent here, and they play it. They don't play around with status quo or what promises were made or who's been here longer. So those young guys see that and they think, man, I can get my shot and I can be playing in the swamp next year. Edgar, you mentioned the, you know, the internet swell for, I mean, and this is probably happening everywhere, but hearing it from Gainesville that they would hire one of the only two players with his jersey retired from FSU to be their coach based on what's going on at Colorado is hard for, for everybody to kind of wrap their head around. How bad would it have to get, though, for them to, to even consider that in Gainesville? He, Deion Sanders is one of the greatest players we'll, we'll ever see. Uh, it's just in, in speed. I mean, my God, I've never seen him faster in a football field than that guy. He, he was just unbelievable. And he's turned out to be an incredible coach in terms of putting pieces together, hiring the right staff, getting out of the way, inspiring the kids, creating a culture people want to play with for him. And it's incredible what he's doing. He does not fit what they do here and the way fans are here. They, it just isn't the kind of they, – they're not hiring an FSU guy, you wouldn't think anyway, but just that culture and cockiness, and that's in a Florida thing. And – I couldn't ever see that happening here, to tell you the truth. And that wasn't floated anywhere near games. It was floated on, on national, by national folks. I mean, there's one national guy who had Billy Nathan going three and nine get, getting fired in week 11. I, mean, I don't know who he's talking to, but that's not happening. And it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening no matter what occurred this season. His buyout is $31.9 million. Mm. So he, he's not going anywhere. But when things get bad, though, thing, people start saying things. And it becomes noise. And it becomes distraction. And then players, you know, they hear things. And, and suddenly it's like you start losing the team. You start losing focus. They start tuning you out. 
this was just a huge win on so many levels for Billy Napier. And he knows it. But what he also knows, and he's a very even-keeled guy, is it's one game. And you probably weren't as bad as you were at Utah, and you're probably not as good as people are telling you are now. And you better put one foot in front of the other and keep getting better and take care of business against Charlotte this weekend. That's your final tune-up before you resume what is certainly one of the toughest schedules in college football this season. Edgar, thank you. Uh, one more note. Yesterday we were going to have you on, and then the suspensions came down. What's been – and it's a it's a first-half suspension. It could have been anything. You never know. But what is that just kind of been like, okay, that's the case. We move on. No big deal. Well, they have no choice, and they do have some depth. They have a kid, Nigel Harris, who's a first-year freshman. They really like. He's promising. He can play right, he can play right guard from Micah Mazuka, Baylor kid, yeah. uh, transfer. And then who pulled his – he's a Philly native who looked like Joe Frazier out there in his left – going left. Uh, and then Damian George, the Alabama transfer, who I tell you, he already has four penalties this year, and now a suspension. I mean, he's got to put his get his act together here. Uh, and they got a kid, Lundell Hudson, who's a FIU transfer, 25 starts at that level. And Charlotte is not like you're playing. You're not playing Georgia this week. Uh, The timing of it works out. Thank you, Edgar. Good stuff. As always, Edgar Thompson covers the Gators for the Orlando Sentinel after the win against Tennessee. And I, that was a game that caught my attention pretty quickly. I think I saw they were up like 10, 12 points. I'm like, oh, that's a nice win for them if they could hold on to it. And you wonder, again, Josh Heupel's in good shape after last year, but it's, it's a fan base that's hungry. And you got to wonder about the disappointment this week in Knoxville. Yeah, we're done with with hot seats, though. I mean, we really are. I mean, I, I think that you know Billy Napier's barely even scratching the surface of what he's going to be able to do there uh, at Florida. Now, granted, he doesn't have a forever leash, but I mean, I think he's the start of year two. You know, like I mean, what what are, what are we expecting here? Josh Heupel, I, I would think that last year uh, gives him a little bit of breathing room to afford a loss, although it's not one you're happy about, obviously. But yeah, I think that. The way we think of hot seats in our minds are a lot different than they, how they actually work. And Napier is, is going to be the guy there for the foreseeable future. But, you know, as Paul has pointed out, I mean, things aren't perfect over there. Although I think this past weekend just goes to show you, just win. Just yeah. win. All the recruiting or all the this or all of that or whatever. Just win football games and all the rest of it solves itself it, every time. And, you know, barring some massive scandal that you can't overcome by simply winning games, everything else – can be solved by winning football games. So that was a big win for them. And just look how in one week's time that everything just flips every yeah. single thought on, on where Florida is and the direction they're going. And it also changes a little bit of the mindset about where exactly is Tennessee and where are they going this season? Uh, and look, I think that, you know, you look at, I think we haven't looked at the transfer portal the right way completely from an observational standpoint, because some people have done it a couple years in a row and done really well, but much like free, it's free agency. So what do you look at free agency in the pros? Sometimes you have people who are really good at free, you know, teams that are really good at free agency that know exactly how to use their free agent dollars. And then you have teams like, I'll just throw it out there. The, the Arizona Cardinals forever who, Oh, we have $150 million in salary cap room or the Browns and they just spend it to spend it. And, you know, so that means that 
you can have a really good year where you hit everything in free agency, but then like Tennessee, Hendon Hooker and right. Jalen Hyatt and all those guys, the combination of people are gone. Well, that doesn't mean that you're just <laughs> going to hit it again, right? Right? Because it is. It's it's a crapshoot, and I think the combination, and I'll throw a basketball reference in here, the reason that Scott Drew's been pretty successful with the transfer portal is for the most part, he gets guys who are going to be there a couple years and not just leave so they can develop in the system. So if you have all those things coming together, then you're going to have some probably pretty consistent good teams. But, you know, things can flip just that easily. And Billy Napier, you know, stepped into a Florida situation that I don't think people really realized was as bad as it was because Dan Mullen had them win it. Like, until that moment where they threw the shoe against LSU, he had them going pretty well. And then from that moment on, it kind of unraveled. And then we found out that Dan Mullen didn't want to kind of recruit the same way in the modern era, that it wasn't his thing. And that's his prerogative as a human being to change his job. So Billy Napier stepped into a situation that wasn't as good. And maybe he's better than he's gotten credit for in a year or so. Yeah, well, I mean, possibility. I, yeah. I think that, you know, he was pretty well thought of when they got him. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of schools that were after him when Florida ended up being the choice for him. So yeah, it's not like he forgot how to coach last year and they just had no idea what they were doing. I mean, bad hires happen, but I think this was always more reasonable of an outcome. And it's, not, I mean, look, it's, it's, Three weeks into the season, so we don't want to overreact now to the Tennessee win, but that was a much-needed win. Uh, it's not like you forgot how to coach. It's just sometimes things take some time, and it takes the right circumstances, and just so happens that you had a really good performance by your defense. You dominated in the trenches. ETN's a freak show, and, uh, you know, Grant Merce didn't kill you. Your quarterback play didn't come back to haunt you, so uh, really good performance for Florida, and that was one where, you know, early on you felt like, yeah, like they're – it was pretty clear who the better team was. Uh, I felt like watching that game that, you know, t- I mean, Tennessee, not bad by any means, but Florida was definitely the team that looked better in, in that game, and, and the results showed that in the end. So, yeah, great for the Gators, and we'll see where, you know, where they can take this. Super chat. Thank you, Kim Coulter. They, uh, the Texas Tech problems. Kim's a, a Texas Tech alum, goes to a lot of the home games. I know he flies in to go see him. He's very supportive of what we do uh, as a show. Of course, the TexasBeefHouse.com gift card. Texas Tech's problems are way, capitalized, way bigger uh, at Tech than just Shuck. We have, no, we have no pass rush, and our offensive scheme is vanilla. That right there, last year, remember, they had Tyree Wilson, who was a freak show himself. I used that twice in, in five minutes, but was just, he was an NFL guy. Uh, the, the vanilla scheme on offense is interesting to me with Kitley. Is that because of who they have at quarterback, or is that because of what they have the quarterback to play with? I mean, because that's never something I've ever thought about a Kitley offense being described by a fan, an alum, and a booster, and a donor in Kim Coulter. Well, maybe their playmakers aren't as good as they thought they that's were. That's what I was be. saying. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think you knew what Tyler Shuck was. I think you guys, I think they know what they, but Baron Morton is and, and what they think he can be. But, you know, maybe, you know, yeah. Tyree Wilson makes a defense that, you know, is pretty average, really good because he's at a position where he is many times, it's just about making, you know, six good plays in a game, he can affect it, right? He doesn't have to be like a a quarterback. Most of the time, if your quarterback only makes six good plays out of the ones he runs, you're going to say, we need to bench you. But a defensive end, really, like Tyree Wilson, if he makes two sacks, a tackle for loss, and then just wrecks something down the field and causes incompletion, he's had a great game, right? Because it's a different deal. So you can make a defense look a lot better when you are that plus of a player. Uh, Roy Melton, uh, when 
Baron Morton plays, it seems the playbook opens up and we take more shots and risk. Chris Cobb, uh, no, it's not from Chris. Kim Coulter, that's, by the way, what you asked, Smokey, is a very fair question. Wes Foster, Baron Morton needs to start. So that's interesting because the, the momentum they had, Craig, with Tyler Shuck to end the year, he was healthy, he looked good. I, I know Morton's good, but I thought this would be Shuck's, Shuck's job unless just all hell broke loose, and it appears as it's close to being all hell broke, breaking loose. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we're at that point, but you definitely sense the pressure rising. Uh, I don't know about all hell breaking loose. Um, you, you know, that would be all hell breaking loose to me would be like, you know, coaches on the hot seat and losing things like that. at West Virginia? Huh? Would it be losing this week to open up the Big 12 at West Virginia? I mean, I think. Um, yeah, possibly, um, you know, all hell could break loose in that regard. I, I just think of that as so much more dramatic. You know, I, I think these are sure. some, some fixable issues. I think all hell breaking loose. I'm like, people are getting fat Kitley's on his way out and, and it's not that dire. I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's worse than it is, but yeah, they've definitely got some question marks. They definitely have some issues that they need to clean up and take care of. And I hear the calls for Baron Morton and I've seen the, the comments and the talk about how, you know, the offense does seem to operate a bit smoother, more wide open with him. I don't know what to point to in that regard. Um, but, you know, I think Tyler Shuck is a victim of some of the hype. Uh, the fact that you had there at the end of the year, what was it like the graphic of like he's 7-1 and one in games he started, but he's missed all these games because of injury. And so that leads you into like, well, shoot, if he's healthy yep. and they got all these guys coming back, well, by God, like they're going to be on fire. And then they come out and they're they're not uh, on fire. And like they're still putting up points, um, but it's just not the way that you thought that they would be able to do that uh, with Taj Brooks and all the various weapons that they have. So, you know, turnovers have been problematic too. I mean, like that Oregon game, you know, that's a game they almost win. Um, you know, that's a game that if he doesn't throw an interception late, they very well go down there. And that's a different story when all was said and done. Wyoming, that was double overtime. Yep. So, you know, yes, it's not been as good as you expected. Yes, they might have a better quarterback at backup than they do at the starter. I think that still remains to be seen, but I understand why there's that conversation. But I don't think it's like press the panic button just yet because the two losses they have, while you know, one of those was certainly unexpected. It's this close, right? It's not you're getting blown out. It's literally overtime and then and then another game uh, with Oregon where it went down to the very wire and then, you know, can't take too much from Tarleton State. But, look, they're not quite as good as I thought that they would be. I don't think they're as good as most people thought they would be. I think that also, though, is what happens when you kind of operate a hype machine throughout the offseason and so much is promoted, 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 and then you get out there and it's time to play ball and it's not quite where you thought. And so that leads to – maybe some unreal or too high expectations being brought down to earth a little bit. I think that's kind of where Tech is, but if they go and they start off 1-3 and three this weekend, then by all means, bring all those comments back, and let's talk next week about you know what really is about to break loose because that would be an unforeseen uh, first month uh, to start the season. Kim Coulter was mentioning the no, no pressure. Defensive ends, I looked at the yeah. NCAA stats. You have some schools that have 13 or 14 sacks. Texas Tech has six. It's like in the... A tie for 63rd with about 30 teams. Again, not enough games have been played to get away from a lot of t- people with six sacks. So that's one of the issues as far as pressure. So there's one thing and, that I looked up on NCAA.com. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing is, you know, I give credit to them for sticking in these ball games or being in close games. But at the same time, they're also allowing those teams to be in those close games and to get the final score on them. Uh, you know, in the case of uh, Wyoming and also uh, Oregon. So, yeah, you can score 30-plus, but if you're giving up 30-plus, then that's problematic, and that's where they find themselves. They are in a pickle. Make no bones about it. Um, but it's still early enough to correct course. But they do need to figure out, like, how 
How how do they operate moving forward at quarterback? That is going to be very curious if Tyler Shuck continues to struggle um, at inopportune times and Baron Morton, um, you know, obviously has a lot of fans because he's got a great skill set. Adam Vulture, Shuck needs to throw the damn ball away, hand the ball to the running back, run the ball himself more. Um, and then there's Katie Rader, who's a huge Texas Tech fan. Uh, where, where did it go? Uh, no stud wideouts. Uh, that, what happened to that big, tall, physical drink of water that I thought, was it Bradley or something Jaren like that? I, I mean, I, I'd throw him the damn ball about every other time I threw the ball, but again, I know that means they could cover him too. So there's a lot of talk. We appreciate the feedback on the chat room today on all of what we've brought up so far on this show. We'll have Craig's off the radar around the corner. Do we have the Dave Aranda audio? Do we have that? We do not. Okay. There was, Grayson put up a, a, a tweet about Dave Aranda. We'll do this in the next segment about when I asked him about the talent on this roster. And there was a lot of feedback on it, including from Uncle Kraz. And we have to show his tweet about it because it's hilarious. That's where his mental state is. It's 431. This is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick, GMC, Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on. They're the people that I've counted on, and uh, they will provide you a great customer service no matter what you're looking to do with your vehicle, whether it's to buy a brand-new 2023 model, whether it's looking to get uh, in a pre-owned car, a little less affordable but still a, a great ride, or if it's just getting your current car taken care of uh, by their award-winning uh, service department. Right now, there's a lot of construction out in front of Richard Carr over on Highway 6. It's an absolute mess, to be frank with you. So they are trying harder to make buying a new Buick GMC or Cadillac easier and worth your effort. Right now, qualified buyers can save over 7000 on new 2023 GMC Sierra 1500s. You can finance for 0.9%. And with dozens of Sierras on the lot, they have the inventory, the price, and the financing to get you into a new GMC Sierra today. Plus, if you're military or first responder, you can save an additional $500. Buick also has the lineup of first-class luxury vehicles and value like no other. Ranked number one overall for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers. Buick Offers amazing value, and that includes right now saving five thousand on a new full-size 2023 Buick Enclave, or saving four thousand on a 2023 mid-size Buick Envision. Again, military and first responders can save an additional five hundred dollars. So those are some of the new offerings. They've also got a ton of quality pre-owned cars and trucks in stock as well, and their award-winning customer service department is standing by to keep you on the road and to keep your vehicle in tip-top shape. If you're looking to get tires, for example, well, they offer a price match guarantee on the lowest price comparable tires in town so again you can contact the dealership for more information there but no matter what you're looking to do take care of your car uh, get some work done uh, buy a new car buy a pre-owned car uh, they are your one-stop shop for 24 years in central texas run by proud central texans and baylor bears log on to richardcar.com today call now or go see them now off highway 6 at the imperial exit with so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. How did Edward Jones become one of the biggest financial service companies in the world? 
by not acting that way. Financial strategies, one-on-one advice, it's a big difference. And that's why Brad Wilson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, makes sense of investing. Experience the difference for yourself. Brad Wilson, 250 Sharon Drive in Woodway, 254-776-4337. Edward Jones, member SIPC. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, over 600,000 words in the dictionary, and just three of them said together can change everything. Let's order pizza. Those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on Marco's Pizza that'll blow your mind. So visit Marco's.com to order and stop by Marco's Pizza in Bellmead, China Spring, Woodway, and in Robinson. Marco's. Pizza lovers get it. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon wrap fillets to T-bone to bone-in ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef and chicken fajitas and always large briskets available plus fresh vegetables so the great product customer service and family tradition of the bauer family continues at waco custom marketplace open monday through saturday a full service butcher shop and bakery available waco custom marketplace 425 lake air drive in waco or waco custom marketplace.com Automatic Chef Canteen is a full-service micro-market vending and office coffee provider with state-of-the-art vending equipment, a wide variety of products, and offering custom-fitted micro-market vending office coffee solutions for your employee break room. You want a full break room solution and a workplace oasis? Well, Automatic Chef Canteen, locally owned and operated for over 50 years in Central Texas, also includes in-house mechanics on call 24-7 for fast, reliable service and maintenance. Automatic Chef Canteen, 6900 Imperial Drive in Waco or online at AutomaticChefCanteen.com Don Humidor, your home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year, Aging Room, Quattro Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley. Don Schumanor in the Townwood Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. This is 365 Sports. The Sikkim 365 app is brought to you by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Come by, let's be friends. All right, a couple of things that we have Dave Aranda every other Monday. Had him on yesterday, asked him the question about and I did not know his answer. I did not know how he was going to answer this, but it's a question. Do you have Big 12 championship talent or a roster? And he responded, yes. He feels like they do. He goes, they just can't take what they see, which he said was explosiveness or in practice, to the games. Well, 
there's a disconnect there, and whatever it is, the coaches, the players, or both, I, I don't see them having a Big 12 championship roster. I am not alone in that, but that doesn't mean that I know more than the head coach of a football team. But there does seem to be two different versions there. So Uncle Crass responded. Paul, what have we learned about bets? Uh, it's not It's not good. Even if it looks like it's impossible, yeah. I'll haze my nuts if this even remotely comes to fruition. Did you say haze? Taze. I said taze. Because <laughs> haze, like haze, haze is gonna, illegal, right? Just going to harass him <laughs> until... Until they do what he wants. What a waterboard my nuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my There's God. A drop. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so that was I don't Uncle think that Krass. that's – I mean, I don't think he's really all that worried about that because I don't think he's got anything to worry about, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that the comment is, though, uh, open for interpretation and people who are already out to just further – you know, Nakaranda or the direction that things are going will take that as though, oh, he's saying they should win the Big 12 right now with the talent they have. And I, I read it differently. I read it or listened to it, and I listened to it multiple times. Of He thinks that they've got the talent, but here I was trying to explain this on the podcast earlier, and I don't know if everyone agrees, so y'all tell me or not. I think there's a massive disconnect in what he, as the leader of the program, and what they are operating on when it comes to, like, their – their trajectory, and what the fan base is operating on. I agree. The fan base is thinking, win now. You had a bad year last year. You made all these changes. You should be better. You should be better than losing to Texas State. You should be Big 12 contenders. And I think Dave Aranda's looking at it of like, yeah, if things go well, then they can contend now. But I think he's also speaking to the future. I think he's talking about what's building, the fact that they've got guys like Corey Gordon who are only going to get better as they play more and you know work out some of the kinks and work out some of the experience issues. And so I think he's looking at it not just now where – you know, look, they, they could have beaten Utah. Like, they, you know, Texas Absolutely. State was a little bit more wonky, and that was really all Texas State. So I won't even, you know, give them credit there. But Utah was within reach, and we're talking about them entirely differently. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm making it out that they're much better than we give them credit for. They haven't shown that. They don't deserve that, that uh, benefit of the doubt. But I do think we're talking about two different things. I think he sees the talent that they're accumulating and what can be built and built towards, and they can win Big 12 titles. But I think the fan base is like – they're looking at it like right now, this team, what they've seen, and they're like, this team has no well, chance. And so that's where I think there's because, a miscommunication. Because in 19, they played for one. In 21, they won it. And and so, you know, they want that every year. They've seen that every year. They also saw what happened in 13 and 14. So there's four Big 12 titles or four at least appearances out there. And I do agree that – but there's no Jalen Petrie walking through that door today. But there was there, – there's, there's not a Terrell Bernard – who, by yeah. the way, congratulations on the pick over the weekend. There's not one of those, and I think player, the fan base just expects those to be all throughout the depth chart. Well, I think when you're talking about uh, Jalen Petrie in particular, there's also not a Mike Singletary or Robert Griffin III walking through the door yeah. either. So, yeah. you know, yeah, there's not a Petrie walking through the door. Now, do you expect Aranda to have more guys along those lines to be able to bring in the next Jalen Petrie? Absolutely you do, and I think that's where you look at Corey Gordon. But people don't want Corey Gordon two years from now and what that might look like. They want Corey Gordon right now to be Jalen Petrie. Right. And that's where they're, everybody's operating on two different wavelengths. Um, I think he knows the pressure to win now, and I think he understands the pressure to win now, but I also think he's not just looking at right now. He's looking at what's 
happening over the course of time. Whereas again, we're looking at, oh my God, they're one and two. They could be one and three. Oh my God, they could get blown out at home against this Texas team if they're not careful. Oh my God, they might not win another game the rest of the year based on what we've seen so far. And those are all legitimate concerns. So I actually think there should be a middle ground. You shouldn't expect to have two rebuilding years in a row. Um, you know, based on last year, that should have been your mulligan and you should be kind of ramping it back up. You're actually going backwards based on what we're seeing or you're just saying steady the way the second half of the year went and that's what's concerning. If they were playing a little bit better, I think, you know, but it lost to Utah, things would be okay. But they've just been so unimpressive looking um, and this the mood has been so bleh that it's just hard to get excited about being patient uh, and, and understanding that you need to be patient when what you're being given gives you no reason to believe that it's actually going in that great direction that they are indicating that it can eventually go to. Yeah, yeah. And I think everyone's like kind of looking this, you know, that what's that that one little meme? And I, I, I do think, one, Baylor should not be in a rebuild mode. But I understand there is transition, even though what happened in 2021. I do not see a Big 12 championship roster right now, and I think anyone who thinks that, like right now, that's why what you said about what Aranda's saying compared to what I think everyone wanted him to say. They, they, they all, they, I think some fans would just would like to have him say, no, we're not in that mode yet. We're not there yet. Would, they, would the fan base be more upset had he said, we're not there yet? Or are they more like scoffing because he said, I do think we have that kind of roster as if maybe he was answering for right now. Yeah, I think that's probably option B. I think that like a couple things happened to him or to, to the team that you can't go back and undo. And like the the first you asked him, it was the question I asked you to ask him about: Did the transfer portal affect you last year? And, uh, and you know, did you not going in affect you not only last year but this year? I think that is he he didn't think so. I do. I think it really did affect them in that they got themselves in a position last year where they could have gone in and gotten some wide receivers in particular. And now you're it, talking about the summer before 2022 season. Yeah, so the right. 2022 season right. when they could have gotten in the transfer portal, they did not. They 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 bet on their guys. And there is a line between betting on your guys and then also maybe getting in somebody who's going to help and that can help push those guys. But sometimes you, you and you have to do both now, I think, a little bit. And if he had bet on you know, the transfer portal and his guys simultaneously, maybe some of those games that they lost last year, they don't lose. All right, let me ask you a question. Who was the transfer portal wide receiver this year? Keytron Jackson. Has he been a dude? He's been better than they were last year, okay. but I would say that... Has he been a dude? No, not yet. Okay. What but, Aranda admitted what they did two years ago for before 2022 was they wanted to give the young players who had been a part of the system a chance to then, like, flourish. None of them really did, and that's what hurt them in 2022. This year, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's just not at wide receiver. Yeah, the whole offense stinks. I mean, basically, uh, you know, the running game got going last week, but it was also against a team that you should be able to run the ball on no matter how good or bad you are in any given year. So I don't know how much that really showed us. He made a mistake uh, in not attacking the transfer portal more after the Big 12 title, and that led to some of the woes of last year. Um, and you know what? That was a mistake, and you move on from it. I, I don't think we just sit and dwell on it. I, I think that they went and acted very quickly. I mean, before they even played their bowl game, they had four commits out of the transfer portal, including Keytron Jackson. So, I mean, they attacked it. He had already you know, made the move at coordinator as well by the time the bowl game rolled around. It's just, though, it's been... 
um, discouraging to see just the style in which they played. You know, if they were playing a more solid brand of football that didn't just look so choppy, um, then I think there would be less concern. But it's the fact that it just doesn't even look good. And, and there isn't a lot of like, oh, well, at least that guy's coming down the pipeline uh, that has people thinking, oh, this is a long-term hole that we're digging ourselves. It's right. not something that can be corrected in you know just a matter of being patient for a few more weeks. How about this? How much does Dion's success at Colorado, including his son and Travis Hunter and Shiloh, who had a pick six against uh, Colorado State, how much does what people, what people see there, such an immediate turnaround, put pressure not on just – what Baylor's dealing with, but everybody across the board. He can do it, even though he was able to bring a couple what, three it's, players but with But it's him. not just Dion that's doing it. It's a lot of coaches that are doing it All right, in give a me different some. way. I mean, Mike Norvell's doing it. Okay. Kenny. G.J. Okay. Kenny's doing right. it. Like, there's a lot. Like, I think Hugh Freeze is probably about to do it. I mean, like, he, he's going to have this year where he figures out what he's got, really, legit, you know, legitimately. And then he's going to... Texas hit, with uh, Mitchell. Yeah. By, by himself, well, look, Mitchell. Uh, Texas has done it over the last couple of years where, before, you remember, in the old days, they would wouldn't even deign to take a JUCO guy at Texas. Now yeah. they're fully invested in the portal. So there's a lot of people doing it. Now Dion is doing it demonstrably and with volume that nobody's ever done before. Well, I, but I, I'm not saying he's not. My question is how much does that put pressure oh, on it, those it, who yeah, aren't? I think it yeah. absolutely does because yeah. you, you'll ask why, you know, look, Davos dealing with it in Clemson. Yeah. Why aren't you doing it? Everybody around you is doing it. Yeah. You know, hey, Dave Aranda won a Big 12 title in year two. Why haven't you done that? Yep. Yeah. I mean, we can play that game, exactly. too. Uh, Dion's, Dion's not just any other coach. Dion's yeah. freaking Dion Sanders. Like, yeah, he attacked the transfer portal and got a lot of great players. But not everybody just can attack the transfer portal, and that means that you get the equivalent of Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter and you know, all these other guys that are going to be impactful or already have been. So, I mean, it does put pressure on the fact that I think everybody knows it doesn't take five years to get a program up and running, that you can do it in a very short amount of time. I think that's what Dion shows. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I don't think it really applies to Dave Aranda. I think it's an entirely different situation. And um, to, to get out of this, it's not as simple as just attacking the transfer portal and, you know, getting as many guys as possible. All right, one more thing, the perfect cracker. Oklahoma has done it as well as far as the transfer portal. All right, when we come back, Craig's off the radar. We will hear from Roger Wallace on the Texas side of their win uh, last week as they found a way in the fourth quarter against Wyoming. And now Baylor coming up Saturday night in Waco in a game on ABC. This is 365 Sports. Texas Beef House focuses its resources on developing the best Wagyu, the genetics which produces our, their high-quality beef. The family of the Duvall family has spent the past couple of decades improving the quality of their beef herd. Taste the difference with Texas Beef House. You've heard about them. I've talked about them. A lot of you have bought from them. The Duvalls were in our studio a couple of weeks ago for the game against Utah, and they could not give us more insight than they did the history of where they are now compared to how they began. It's mind-boggling the kind of commitment they've put in to what they're doing at TexasBeefHouse.com. Steaks, brisket, tri-tip, sausage, fajitas, all of it. And it's a, a ranch that's just outside of Tyler in, yes, White House, Texas, where, of course, the home of Patrick Mahomes. They also have the aged beef. Not everybody wants to do that because there's commitment with time and also money. Typically not available at pu public uh, restaurants uh, and added cost in the time. At Texas Beef House, they're aging the entire beef, not just the choicest cuts of steak, 
but everything, the carcass and all. Uh, Duvall family, they're the gift card winner for our chat room every week. Uh, it is texasbeefhouse.com. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa wrap, son, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or draw in and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Boozers, the wedding ring store. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness offers over 40 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, indoor cycling, bars, silver sneakers, and more. If you haven't been to Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness lately, you're missing out on the improvements. New flooring in the weight room floor and locker rooms, new paint and mirrors added to the weight room and group exercise room, and many new machines have been added and arriving constantly on the weight room floor. New free weights, weight machines, TRX, rowing machines, stationary bikes, new treadmills, new ellipticals on the spacious weight room floor. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Box, and welcome to Nathan Roach, where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow. A kids club included with your membership plus sauna, whirlpool, and tanning vet. 16 tennis courts plus a beautiful stadium court and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior Kenna. Adult tennis lessons in clinics with Blake and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at wacotennis.com or visit us at Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. This segment with former Baylor quarterback and Baylor radio analyst J.J. Joe is sponsored by Alliance Bank Central Texas, where customers have confidence that their financial needs are in good hands with two locations in Waco. It it is not J.J. Joe. He's on Mondays. It is time, Tuesdays and Thursdays at this time, for Off the Radar. Craig? 
All right, thank you very much. Uh, let's dive into uh, it's a Tuesday. It's following a college football weekend, and so let's get into some uh, ratings talk uh, and see kind of what's what when it comes to some of the most watched games from this past weekend. And hey, if you've got Colorado fatigue, that's just too dang bad. And uh, so, so long as they keep winning, then you know what? You're going to have to find maybe another sport to follow because Colorado fever is uh, at a fever pitch, and that was evident this past weekend. Their game against Colorado State topping 9 million viewers uh, this past Saturday night, averaging uh, 9.3 million on ESPN, the largest late-night college football audience on record, fifth-largest regular season audience ever on ESPN's family of networks at one point. Uh, in double overtime, as the, or the, as the game went double overtime, at one point, the peak hit 11.1 million viewers uh, for this contest. So an average of 9.3, a high of 11.1. And that 11.1 came between Central Time, 10 and 10.15 p.m., because obviously there was a late-night game. So you had 11 million-plus people at... 10:15 Central Time, or that window 10 to 10:15, uh, watching that Colorado Colorado State game, largest college football uh, audience of the entire year through the first three weeks. I say entire through the first three weeks, and uh, it tops what was the previous high, FSU LSU, uh, the Labor Day Sunday night main event of the opening game, weekend. Yeah. What? The standalone game in primetime. Yes, the standalone Labor Day weekend contest that had 9.17 million people, uh, 2 million more for Dion uh, and the Buffaloes versus Colorado State. So uh, the ratings are just getting bigger and stronger. And, you know, as they keep winning, I'd imagine that would continue to be the case. But they now have three of the five most watched games this season. They hit 8.73 million against Nebraska, 7.26 million versus TCU, and now this monster number of nine plus million. So, I mean, you know. Um, you might not like it, but you better learn to love it <laughs> because it's not going anywhere unless, you know, some massive losing streak were to occur. But right now, the buffs are must-see TV. I, uh, I I told you the story Monday that I was watching it, big, huge TV that I have in the bedroom, and I, I kind of fell asleep about mid-third quarter, woke up just in time for all the craziness. I actually saw people who were saying that the numbers were a little bit inflated because – well, a lot of people were watching the game and they fell asleep but left the TV on. Stop. Stop looking for re- – they had an incredible audience. Unbelievable okay. numbers so in a that- game that started at 9 o'clock Central Time. Okay. So that means they turned it on in the first place to fall asleep yes. to it. Okay. That's what matters. It doesn't – look – when you, the Nielsen like the Nielsen ratings that come in, they don't send you a quiz that also says, "Hey, with the four thirty-five in the on the clock in the third quarter, uh, name three jersey numbers that were out in the field." They don't do that. It's just that it's on. So again, they turned it on in the first place, and that's where it was. So the negativity can can go away on that one. That's impressive. It's, I do. I find it funny. George Klyovkov was. Almost right on his Dion take in that Dion was going to help television. Yes, he's going to help the television ratings, but you can't sign a five-year contract basing on a coach who you don't know who he's, where he's going to be, and that's any coach. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't Just know. Another reason why they should have found a way. Look, the Kirk, Kirk Ferentz and Mike Gundy have been at their places for as long as they want, but if they quit, you know, year one into a TV contract, it doesn't help that TV contract long term. You can't base on that, but yes, it does. It is very strange that he is affecting it that much. 
All right, so uh, I mean, that's if, for if the folks are. I think probably most people are joking about leaving the TV on. Mm-hmm. If they're not, though, they're just world class haters. Which you know, that's uh, I guess you can take that. Some people might take that as a compliment, but um, yeah, I mean, at this point, you're just you're just. Uh, I guess looking for a reason to to try and, and knock what's going on, but uh, like them or, or not, uh, they are must see TV yeah. uh, every single weekend of college football so far uh, to this point, and that's only going to grow uh, with even bigger matchups heading their way now in conference play. But uh, that was obviously a, a massive number, and as I mentioned, it was the fifth highest audience ever on ESPN for a college football game, uh, the top ever just for a trip down memory lane, Auburn, Alabama. Crossed 13 and a half million viewers. That was the most watched college football game ever on ESPN back in 2014. Um, you also had Ohio State and USC in 09 uh, get 10 and a half plus million. Ohio State Vatech in 15 got 10 and a half plus million. Boise State Virginia Tech in 2010 got 9.89 million. And then you had this game right here, 2023. So even the next closest was eight years ago to the largest audience that uh, they've had. So, yeah, just massive, massive numbers for the Colorado Buffaloes. And, um, yeah, there is something to Dion being a ratings draw. So that was clearly the top game of the week. But I always just, just throw a, you know, a few more games out there. The second most watched game of the weekend was South Carolina and Georgia. Uh, that was a, uh, let's see here, 5.4 million viewers for South Carolina at Georgia. Also at Tennessee, Florida reeled in 5.3 million viewers. That was good enough for the number three spot. Alabama, South Florida, which I'm sure there was a few people that jumped onto that game that weren't necessarily watching, you know, right away necessarily, but 4.836 million viewers. And then Florida State, Boston College round out uh, the top five most watched games uh, with 3.4 plus million viewers. So in other words, the number one ranked two-time defending champions on a 20 something game winning streak against another SEC team had half the audience yep. of mm-hmm. Colorado who kicked off at nine o'clock our time, 10 o'clock Eastern. Uh, that's impressive. How powerful are they? Their game coming up Saturday against Oregon or no, it's the USC game will be another one of those 10 a.m. Mountain time kicks because everybody wants them on their network. At everybody. 9 a.m. Pacific. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. That is wild, but uh, no, it's Colorado-Oregon coming up this weekend, and then USC is the weekend after. But yeah, they've basically become the official mascot for Big Noon Kickoff at this point. Um, Every single weekend, uh, they've been a fixture, um, and I imagine that's all going to continue. So yeah, I mean, if not for that Colorado-Colorado State game, uh, you would have had... You know, the two SEC games, South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee, Florida, is easily the two most watched with 5 million plus uh, for each of those. But you combine those, and it's just like a million more than the Colorado, Colorado State game got, uh, which is pretty uh, incredible stuff there. Uh, also had a, a healthy rating for the Backyard Brawl, uh, 2.4 plus million viewers uh, for that one as well. So I just want to throw in that because that was a big deal for uh, West Virginia and. Um, yeah, just cool to see uh, how some of these games are, are popping on the charts and uh, what kind of audience is, is being brought in. And uh, just, man, if, imagine if they beat Oregon. <laughs> imagine if they beat Southern Cal. Yeah, the, defending, gonna... yeah, the returning Heisman winner, USC Glitz and Glamour, uh, in the top five. It's going to continue, yeah. And, and uh, Shador Sanders, if they were to beat Oregon, and even if they don't, is a part of that conversation. It will be nuts in Boulder if that happens, if they win I, in Eugene. I, I just wonder what. I mean, Might be nuts anyway. How do you compare, like, just for the Pacific time zone, 
a 9 a.m. like what the 9 a.m. rating will be for Caleb Williams versus the Sanders crew. Hmm. Uh, because most of the time, I would think 9 a.m. and Saturday is not where you're they're walking their their they're walking their uh, dogs dobermans are big huge whatever uh, just you know around the mansion have the people especially the people watching the game haven't even had their first cup of coffee yet yeah. and they're going to be tuned in watching this thing that's going to be crazy to see that fox which is in la by the way and running to la is doubling down so hard on dion that they took a game which was theirs and instead of putting it at a primetime slot took it for the the noon slot and they're betting that where most of the fans are for that game, which would be Southern California normally, are going to wake up and watch it. Yeah, the Colorado's yeah, yeah. a national draw, and USC yeah. brings that too with Caleb. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, how long this Colorado run lasts. You know, just as far as because there's already all the talk about what's he going to do, how long is he going to be there, and this and that. I don't like this is a debate for another time, but I don't think that I, like I think he needs to be at a place that's not. Alabama or not like a blue blood that's already got this massive like I think he thrives better on a place where there is so much more upside but that can be a conversation for another day because I think he loses some of like he'd still be Dion at Alabama but Alabama's also Alabama at Colorado it's Dion like it's all about Dion he's also out to prove something because remember what Dan Lanning said during the offseason realignment about Colorado yeah (laughs) that might be the thing but then they left 10 days later so it may look pretty stupid Uh, but I I think I agree with you, Craig, and I think part of the reason he, he picked a place like Colorado and why he says USF was really in the mix is he's trying to prove something. Yeah, sure. Because he he didn't want he knew what people would say about him. He wanted to okay, you know what I want to do? One and eleven, book it. Yeah, yeah, I'll make you care. So elsewhere, um, did you want to do no, something? Nope. Uh, all right, elsewhere from the NFL weekend, uh, it always, isn't always ratings talk, but on Tuesdays we do dip a little bit into that. But uh, Cowboys and Jets, that turned into, uh, unsurprisingly, the most-watched game of the NFL weekend. And just to go to show you the power of those brands uh, or those you know cities and, and also of the NFL, uh, 25.78 million viewers so Nearly tripling the Colorado audience that we just gushed all over uh, with our our kind words for Dion and and what they've got going on. It's still a drop in the bucket. It's a massive number, but it's still a drop in the bucket compared to the NFL. 25.78 million viewers uh, for the Jets and the Cowboys, uh, which is actually down uh, like nearly 10% in the ratings. Not that that matters, but from the... uh, the largest uh, audience from uh, last year. Uh, but, yeah, that's a big, healthy number. And last night we had a couple of Monday Night Football games, and one of those featured some very bad news, especially if you were a Cleveland Browns fan. Not only did the Cleveland Browns lose, but you also learned that Nick Chubb is going to be out for the rest of the season Jesus. after a horrific uh, injury that took place where he had to get carted off uh, due to a knee injury. Well, you kind of suspected it at the time, but the knee injury did come back, uh, and he will be missing the remainder of this season. Um, got tackled by Minka Fitzpatrick, and um, you saw, well, if you saw it, you saw it, and if you didn't, be glad that you didn't. But, uh, man, what a bummer. Nick Chubb out for the year, and so uh, the Browns will move forward, and I think they're already trying out some running backs and seeing what they can do. But uh, double whammy for them losing Chubb and then losing that game to the Steelers. I saw a note, Paul, that someone said, what did the Cleveland Browns do? To deserve signed Deshaun Watson to one of the biggest deals of all time. To deserve How such evil, yeah, they're like they're like jinxed. Yeah, well, I mean, and Deshaun Watson looked terrible, by the way. Uh, he does not. He look was anything. playing so dirty, like he was like, man, he had two. I mean, he could have had three fifteen-yard penalties in that game, and I, I don't, you know, 
But yeah, I mean, to speak more about his game, but that's what stood out to me was like yeah. the three 15 yard penalties he could have had by the he's, end of the night. He's, he's far, like, you know, look, not playing for almost two years certainly affects you. I, yeah. I, I really do think. And then um, the Browns, maybe they trade for Cam Akers. He's on the way out in Los Angeles. Um, you know, maybe they bring back Kareem Hunt, which would be another thing, um, you know, in, in the negative column in the karma uh, catalog. But uh, I don't know. I, I think that um, it just sucks. I, I tried. You know, I knew something weird had happened watching the game because they like Joe and Troy paused for a second and then – they said, we're not going to show the replay. It's as bad as you think. And then you heard the crowd go, oh, because yeah, they yeah, saw it. Yeah. Bad. And so then I went on Twitter to see. I was just trying to see what the what they said the injury was. Ugh. And then somebody had a short little thing of it. So I only saw it for about a second. And I was like, nope, I can't. Yeah. Well, Kareem Hunt's another guy that they're looking at uh, as a potential okay. uh, before, right? player to, uh, to bring in and, and try to replace Nick Chubb. But, yeah, just feel for, for Nick Chubb, who's now you know dealt with injuries before and uh, at the running back spot as well. It's just uh, tough. So, uh, bummer last night. But uh, there was those couple of games, and it was entertaining for what it's worth. Bryce Young did not look good uh, in the Panthers' loss to the Saints. Uh, I like Derek Carr with New Orleans, though. He's... He's got some fire to him, and you know they're now two and zero. But he Bryce, seems happy. Bryce Young, he does seem happy, and Bryce Young really struggled. Uh, and that was their big home opener, and and that did not go according to plan. But what we do know, and I don't think we mentioned this maybe in passing, but Monday Night Football every single week from here on out will be on ABC. Uh, not just on ESPN, but that is a result of the writer strikes, and so uh, to accommodate some of that missing. Uh, I guess product, so to speak. Uh, there will be Monday Night Football every week of this season on ABC, in addition to the uh, regular broadcast on ESPN, where it was its exclusive home. So there is that, and uh, that's just a little minor television note there for you. And then, meanwhile, I'll close it out with this: uh, Tampa Bay Rays. We talked a little bit about this, but officially announced their new 1.2 billion dollar stadium in St. Petersburg, Florida. They reached an agreement with St. Pete and Pinellas County to build a stadium to replace Tropicana Field. It will be opened up in time for the 2028 season and will be built somewhere near uh, the Tropicana in downtown St. Petersburg, uh, part of the uh, gas plant district, and uh, will be a a new state-of-the-art place. But what this does that's more interesting to me, actually, is it opens up the rest of expansion because now the next domino to fall will likely be the A's in Las Vegas, and then after that, it will be time to pivot because it seems like expansion is in the cards after the, the moving pieces. So you had the Rays that you weren't sure about. You got the A's that you're now going to cross off as well. And then it looks like um, you know Las Vegas uh, will have a team. And then beyond that, uh, I guess there's what um, – Charlotte's a, a t- city. Virginia's in the mix. Nashville. Uh, Nashville's Mon- a Montreal heavy favorite. Again. Montreal again. So it looks like you know that will be kind of where MLB starts to look after securing uh, the the final deals with uh, the A's and getting them settled and getting the Rays now settled with this deal. It'll be looking at expansion. So we'll see. We might have a Nashville MLB team here I'm, in the near future. I'm very excited for the people of the Tampa St. Pete area, of which the three of us have been in a lot. I, I've lived there for a couple of years. Smokey, you have family down in that area that, that go and, and uh, it's great that they'll have a ballpark that is not in a, a truck pull arena that not it was not even good by truck pull arena standards. That also doesn't look like a frisbee got stuck it, in the ground. But I cannot tell you how big a piece of crap Tropicana Field is if you've not been there. It is awful. It is one of the worst places I've gone to watch anything ever. And I've went there a lot. 
because it was there and it was cheap. But and I love baseball, but it, it is really bad. Like when you go to Tropicana Field, you need to like take a trip to Wrigley just to shower off the crap. Yeah, like just to like, oh, okay, this is how baseball is supposed to be. I've not been there. I have family that had season tickets. I don't know that was years ago at this point, but yeah, I've never heard a good word about Tropicana Field as far as a as a place to watch baseball games. And mentioned some of the possibilities: Nashville, Charlotte. Mentioned those, but Salt Lake City definitely have some fans out in Salt Lake City. They're in the mix. Montreal, as you mentioned, and then Portland uh, as well. Those seem to be the five that could get looks for a potential expansion. Uh, But there you go. There's a few things off the radar. Thank you, Craig. Uh, Appreciate. It, uh, it, it the numbers that are being cranked out that will only get higher and higher with uh, what Colorado's does and the games they have coming up. It's just staggering and uh, unbelievable. And what a what a great story. What about Rick George, the AD? He he really he he believed in this. He knew they didn't have the money to probably afford Dion, but they found a way, and now. They are counting cash. That's some executive of the year moves no, is, is what he did yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah, AD of the year, which uh, is a – by the way, saw, I don't know, I think Perfect Cracker wanted to know if we have why we have not mentioned the Big 12 players of the week. We don't do that every week. We pick and choose. It has nothing to do with who is selected. A lot of times it's what we have on the show. Dylan Gabriel, Nick Anderson from Oklahoma, uh, wide receiver and quarterback, and then BYU's Tyler Batty with the huge sack that since clinched the game against Arkansas – Matthew Golden of Houston, a long kickoff return in the eventual loss they had to TCU special teams. But thanks for bringing that up. We appreciate that. When we come back, Roger Wallace has joined us a couple of different times. He's the color analyst for UT. They play in Waco Saturday night. He is next, and this is 365 Sports. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. Marco's Pizza with five locations in the Waco area. Bob Mock, the owner, I saw him. I see him every time I go to a Baylor game. He has worked there as a volunteer. He's also involved in a lot of the game day activity, and uh, he has done a remarkable job. Has been in the had been in the pizza business forever, and now owns five stores, fastest growing pizza brand in America. Marcos Pizza, Marcos dot com. Right now, online, unlimited, medium, one topping pizzas for six ninety nine each. You can use the code MED six ninety nine for med or medium six ninety nine. The Magnifico. They start at $9.99 with pepperoni, the ultimate Magnifico with pepperoni, and even the meatiest pizza you could ever want. Boneless. And if you want the savory sauces, I've always been, when I get chicken wings, I like them crispy and dry with a little bit of heat, but I don't like all the sloppy stuff, but maybe you do. Boneless wings, savory sauces, 10-piece for $7.99. Marco's Pizza, five locations, China Spring, Bell Mead, Woodway, Hewitt, and Robinson in the Waco area. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. How did Edward Jones become one of the biggest financial service companies in the world? By not acting that way. Financial strategies, one-on-one advice, it's a big difference. And that's why Brad Wilson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, makes sense of investing. Experience the difference for yourself. Brad Wilson, 250 Sharon Drive in Woodway, 254-776-4337. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. 
Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Samantha Duball, marketing director for TexasBeefHouse.com. You know all about their great Wagyu beef and product they have. You can go to TexasBeefHouse.com for anything you want to order. But, Samantha, thanks for your time. There's an auction coming up in the month of November. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so November 11th, we're having our first public beef auction. Um, It's going to be here at our ranch in White House, Texas. It's going to be a live auction. You can bid in person. You can bid on the phone or we'll also have it online. And we're auctioning off Wagyu and Angus beef. We'll have 30 to 40 pound bundles. They'll be full of steaks, hamburger, and primals. This is perfect for not only the restaurant owners, but also homeowners. So if somebody wants to load up your deep freezer with some great, great product from a place that is just delivering all of the time with Wagyu from their ranch to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. At Alan Samuels in Waco, we've got amazing deals that make you ask, why shop anywhere else? During Ram Power Days, get a new 2023 1500 Lone Star 4x4 Crew Cab, $11,000 off MSRP or 2.9% for 72 months. Or choose a new 2023 1500 Laramie 4x4 Crew Cab, $12,500 off MSRP or 2.9% for 72 months. That's right, we're making big deals, so hurry in today. Alan Samuels in Waco, the place to shop Ram Truck. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is sponsored by Edward Jones Investments with financial advisor Brad Wilson. Investing his time and experience back to you and your money during today's changing times. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Baylor, Texas coming up Saturday night. UT is ranked as high as three coming off that win a couple of weeks ago in the momentum of Alabama. Took care of business when they had to against Wyoming and Baylor just after 6.30 ABC. Roger Wallace, voice or color analyst uh, and voice of, with UT football on with us on 365 Sports. Raj, uh, was there a little bit of uncomfortable feeling that, oh, my God, what they did at Alabama and all of a sudden here they were tied at 10 into the fourth quarter with Wyoming that maybe they weren't what everyone thought they were going to be this year? No, no doubt. Uh, We've talked before about the scar tissue here uh, (laughs) from the last 10-plus years. So, yeah, I mean, this this is a tie game going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, they had the big light show. They they unveiled the LED lights and – and they did it between the third and the fourth, and and you know the fans were fired up, but they were probably a lot more concerned about the fact that it was a 10-10 ball game. So yeah, 100. Uh, percent That they just looked a little bit sluggish on offense, and got popped one big time uh, in the Wyoming run game. And you would think, okay, seven nothing, 30 seconds in, no big deal. But this thing lingered for quite a while. Roger, did that tell you maybe more about this team having? some more gumption than some of those teams in the past because there are some Texas teams in the past that would have lost that game 13 to 10 to Wyoming at home. 
Yeah, that's, that's one way to look at it, the fact that they kind of follow the script just in different ways if you look at their first three games. In all three games, they've scored 21 points in either the third or the fourth quarter after scoring one touchdown in each of the first halves of the three games. So, you know, Sark's big problem early on was finishing and, and losing lead. Now, as he uh, he said yesterday, uh, now we got to figure out how to fast start a little bit faster. And that's odd from a you know an offensive guy, a guy that scripts, a guy that you know usually has a defense off balance early because he's got time to kind of game plan his offense. So uh, you know there's always something to nitpick, but the bottom line is uh, did what they had to do, and then they you know they make big plays with the defense. You, you don't count on that. But it's funny how really good teams always seem to get those, and mm-hmm. they nearly had the pick six at Alabama, and then they did have the, the pick six on Saturday. Roger, what's kind of the thought going into this Baylor game? Uh, obviously, Big 12 opener on the road. I know there's the underline, you know, this will be the last time ever, or at least for a long time, that these two teams play, maybe the last time they ever play in Waco. Uh, but obviously, the Bears have struggled out of the gates. There's there's no doubt about that. So what was kind of the messaging from Sark following that, you know, less than desirable performance, but still a win and now heading into the conference play? Well, on the field, I think they, they definitely want to clean some things up. They did not throw the ball well uh it was a a pretty stark contrast from the bama game uh when not only they they had a big game throwing it but they were successful in throwing it over the top maybe wyoming had something to do with that they were going to keep texas from from you know getting over the top but they're usually ways to kind of figure things out that that just didn't happen but i i think you're exactly right just going to waco knowing the the energy and emotion that's going to be in that stadium and and you know as as sark said you know we're on this farewell tour, but we still got to be the ones that punch, not get punched all the time. And, and so I think there's just a concern that, you know, they've lost the last two times up there and they know uh, what Baylor's capable of. All you have to look at is, is the Utah game. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're very concerned. And I, I think it's going to be that way every week with this team. Roger, the feeling up here is, oh, my God, what's this score going to be? Because Baylor has looked very – Average at best in the loss to Texas State and, and then how they finished against Utah and even dangled or lingered with Long Island. What do you hear? What do you is I know you study the game and all that as well, and it's still early in the week, but what do you hear about what might be something Texas is concerned about, if anything, with Baylor this week? Well, I think it's the, the things that you worry about on the road and that's some, some momentum shifts. Texas hadn't turned the ball over until pretty late in the fourth quarter on Saturday when the game was out of hand all uh, all three games. So you, you take care of the ball, and that eliminates if, if you think you're the better team, well, how does another team get in it? Well, you get a turnover, you get a short field, things like that. So that's always something. As, as average to below average as Quinn Ewers played uh, Saturday, he still took care of the ball. Now, he had one throw that very easily could have been picked. That hasn't been the case of the first two games. But I think that's where a concern is, just big momentum swings. Uh, the running game's been consistently inconsistent until uh, the last drive against Alabama and second half against uh, Wyoming. So there's some concern. Okay, if they can't run the ball, uh, do they put Ewers in harm's way? Uh, we know Dave Aranda can, uh, you know, coach defense. So um, I think they're concerned about all those things. And then just the just the concern. You, you know, guys, when when a team thinks they're really good, I think that's when everybody's even more on edge. Uh, because, you know, they know what's at stake. And I think that probably plays into it as well, whether they'll admit it or not. It's just the fact that, okay, we're number three now. 
is is their thinking. That that means we got a lot farther to get knocked off our perch if things go south. Roger, do you think maturity would pop up as an issue with this team? I mean, they look, they've got a lot of guys who have been a lot, you know, whether transfer portal or been at Texas for a while that have seen some things, but a lot of these guys are also, um, you know, kind of new to success. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a small sample size of, of what happened at Alabama. And that was Bama hit them, took the lead late in the third and, and Texas didn't flinch. Now we can all discuss, okay, maybe this Alabama team is, is not that good based on the Texas game and the South Florida game. Uh, but so far, they've, they've answered that because they all have been second-half games. And, you know, good and bad. Good that, that they've been able to, you know, figure it out in the second half, pull away, come back, do whatever they've had to do. Or, uh, you know, the flip side is, what if they start slow again and find themselves uh, in a hole that, you know, on the road, emotion, momentum, and things like that, Maybe that does cost them. So I think the first thing they like to do is is establish the run uh, from the start, and then if you know that big offensive line can can wear on a defense, if they can do that, and then that obviously opens everything up. But yeah, I think I think they're concerned about everything uh, in this ball game Saturday. Is I know up there that might sound uh, a little bit absurd, but I guess when you're on the other side of it, you you're worried about you know that old line from the firm. My job is to worry about things you don't worry about. I think that's what they're doing right now so roger how was that light show uh the leds and the <laughs> drones and all of the, the the lights and everything that they've done to, to dkr to to modernize it and have it you know up to the, the best of the best uh, what was that experience like yeah it was it was cool um david's been up there you know our our view is a little different because we have an sure. overhang and a photo deck so we can't see up we can see out and uh, but but the light show is cool, and, and you're right. They've just done things over the last several years to to enhance that that kind of game day experience and and make it more of a home field advantage. So it, it was cool, but again, it was <laughs> a little tension in the building uh, at ten to ten. Well, I'll, I'll even say this: this is how mad everybody is in Waco immediately. Well, they can. We need to do that at McLean Stadium. It's like that is now the like Oklahoma has it, Texas has it. I, I don't. I went to. Didn't we go to Permian High School at Ratliff Stadium in Odessa? Yeah, they, they had the. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was an incredible show. Roger the uh, the running game. Somebody earlier this week mentioned that they didn't run the ball well, but Brooks had over 160 yards. Was it just that they didn't dominate with a big 250 or so yards rushing game against someone like Wyoming? Yeah, for sure. And again, and you know, this, sometimes it falls on deaf ears, but Wyoming's probably uh, pretty good. Now they had to make a quarterback change right out of the gate. I'm not sure how much they cost him, but they added a running back, the guy that gashed him for that long touchdown, who had not played uh, in the first two games. So you know, they were they were two and zero quality win against Texas Tech. But yeah, I, I, that's something that has uh, you know Sark. I don't want to say concern, but that's something they want to improve on. Now, they've been spoiled. We've talked about it before when you have B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. But Jonathan Brooks did go for 164. And the one thing Stark liked is that he did a lot of it in the fourth quarter. So he proved that you know he can kind of be that hammer uh, that they might need uh, in the second half of ballgame. Not sure what they're going to get out of C.J. Baxter if they get anything on Saturday. So it'll probably be a lot more of the same as far as uh, – Jonathan Brooks, but I, I think they expect uh, Quinn Ewers to be sharper this Saturday and that pass game be sharper than it was 
uh, against Wyoming. What about the health of the team? Well, they lost two linemen. I mean, Cole Hudson on and off starter uh, at guard is gone for a few weeks. Defensive lineman uh, Chris Ross, he's a rotation guy, but but sees a lot of snaps. He's gone uh, the same amount of time. So that those are the two big ones. And again, Sark said Baxter was back. Doesn't necessarily mean he's back to the to the point where he's going to get any snaps. Uh, but you do lose some depth on on both sides of the ball, and I think they liked. Uh, Cole Hudson in there. DJ Campbell got the start uh, in the opener, but he's been a little bit inconsistent. So I think that was a, a pretty significant hit for the next several weeks. Look forward to seeing you Saturday, my friend. Thank you very much for your time, Raj. Right back at you guys. Thanks for having me. Roger Wallace, Texas color analyst, Texas radio on the game Saturday evening at 630. Yeah, that was the last game on the Longhorn Network. Uh, if you watched it this, this past Saturday, so a little bit of history was made there. And oh, damn, I should have turned over. Well, it's the, one of the first games I've ever watched on the Longhorn Network. I think maybe two or three in the history of it. Yeah, uh, that was the last time they'll they'll air a game. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know what they're – I know they're absorbing it or whatever in the SEC Network or however that's going to work. I don't know if they've made all that official. But, yeah, that was the last broadcast there. I think I saw a couple games on there. They did fine, but it wasn't ever a big-time, you know, main event game they just had to tune in for. So, I know that's a bummer for some of the people involved, but just thought I'd mention that because there's a little bit of yep. history given how much – uh, grinding of, of teeth there were over the Longhorn Network over the years. But, uh, yeah, a little bit of a swan song. I watched a conference game against uh, Texas, a Longhorn Network game in football one time, and I think maybe, I don't know what their record was, but I think the, the opposing team might have been Kansas State or someone like that. Gave them hell, Iowa State. When we come back, uh, Hall of Fame columnist John McClain, Paul's top five just around the corner. Tonight, 1030, every weeknight at 1030, Emory puts together magical wand of what he can do with this show. And at 1030 on the CW, it's 365 Sports tonight. This is 365 Sports. Don's Humidor and Coffee Beans, I have not played golf in a couple of weeks. It's either been the weather or just a late night because of football. What I just haven't done that. But uh, I am going to try to play Thursday morning. I hope I am. And I went by Don Schumador and got myself loaded up with some nice cigars. I like the Churchill length, Ashton or Macanudo, uh, Artur Fuente. Uh, my favorite brand of cigar, though, is Rocky Patel for a lot of great reasons because of Rocky himself and what he is personally, but also because I like the Rocky Patel Torpedo Edge Light. 48-foot walk-in humidor at Don's Humidor, it, just inside uh, between Richland Drive and Valley Mills in Waco. Plus, they have CBD product. They have THC for you in one bag that's called for bad days for those who have bad chronic pain or are going through something really, really bad. Carol, Ashley, and Cheyenne, they know the business. Don Schumador and Coffee Beans in the Town West Shopping Center off Valley Mills and Richland Drive in Waco. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. 
Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB, your bank for life. Member FDIC. In our logo and advertising, we say we are people that you can count on. What does that mean? It starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price. But it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon-wrapped fillets to T-bone to bone and ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef and chicken fajitas, and always large briskets available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and family tradition of the Bauer family continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, open Monday through Saturday, a full-service butcher shop and bakery available. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. Welcome back to 365 Sports. It's time for our weekly segment with NFL Hall of Fame columnist John McClain. Brought to you by Pioneer Steel and Pipe, where customer service is their main focus and best in metal, steel, and pipe for large or small projects. With two locations in Waco and Bryan, family owned and operated since 1943. Read John's work at sportsradio610.com. Hall of Fame, John McClain. What he does and what he's done for many, many years joins us on Tuesdays at around 5.30 with Craig and Paul, and I'm David Smoke. John, what is more frustrating, watching the Astros try to hang on to the West, the Texans, or your uh, alma mater, Baylor? Oh, boy. You know, the Astros, a lot of people thought they could repeat for the first team to do that since 2000. Yankees, when they won their third in a row, but they're so... Frustrating, lose two and that two or three to the A's, two or three to the Royals, the two worst teams in the baseball. Then they're leading top of the ninth last night, seven five. Got their closer in there, Ryan Presley gives up a three run homer, and they lose to the Orioles, the best team in the American League. But the Rangers lost. Nobody in the AL West wants to win the division. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing how bad all of them have done down the stretch. You know, that movie, How the West Was Won, I think I'm going to write one called How the West Was Lost because none of them won it. I tell you, it's interesting. The Mariners ought to win it because the Mariners play three three in Arlington, three at home against Houston, and four at home against uh, the uh, Rangers. So they've got everything they want right at their fingertips if they can pull it off. But right now, it's amazing while the Orioles are loaded with young talent, 
because they were rebuilt with an Astros assistant GM who took the same approach minus the trash can banging. And they're a great <laughs> young team with great young players. And as far as Baylor, I didn't expect Baylor to win the Big 12. I thought they could win seven or eight games. But I tell you, they, the quarterback play and Chapin being out, and uh, it just wasn't very good. And uh, the, the game against the Longhorns, it'd be one of the all-time great upsets, kind of like the miracle on the Brazos in 1974. And as one of my friends said, they better get a worm for Dave Aranda and have him to eat it in the locker room before the game. And I'm thinking, how many Baylor fans out there have no idea what we're talking about? Uh, probably yeah. a bunch. Great. Coach Tav had a lot of worm stories, by the way. Did you ever hear the one about that he did, John, about the like trying to get the kids not to drink? Uh, no, but I'll, I've got to tell you a good story about the worm story. Uh, I was in the office of the Houston Chronicle after they upset Baylor that year. And a friend of mine, Robert Miller, who's an attorney now living in Coffeeville, calls me and says, hey, we just ran into Singletary at dinner, and we were congratulating him on the win. And he said that Taft ate a worm to inspire the team. And I'm like, what? He said, I know it's crazy, but that's what Mike said. So I tell the editor at the Chronicle, who's in the office that night, and he tells our SWC writer, Jerry Wizard, call Mike Singletary. Because back then, everybody had everybody's numbers. And so I'm listening to him call Singletary. He goes, hey, Mike, Jerry Wizard at the Chronicle, how are you? Hey, Mike, great win. Congratulations. Listen, Mike, I, I, I know this isn't true, and I hate to ask you, but, but my boss is making me, and, and we got some crazy report that, to motivate you guys, Taff, Taff, what? He did? He puts his hand over the phone, tells the editor, Taff ate a worm to inspire the team. And so he gets off, and he writes a story. Chronicle got a big scoop. Years later, mm. I'm with Dave Campbell. And Dave's, I'm telling that story, and Campbell says, you know what? I had the whole thing, and I was going to run it on Monday. And I said, Mr. Campbell, that shows what you always said, write it or read it. And Dave Campbell had to read it in the Chronicle, and it screwed up his big scoop about oh. Grant eating the worm to keep the bait warm to inspire Baylor to beat the Longhorns. What a nice backstory. Yeah. What was the other one? The other one, so he told, I was with him one time at a, at a luncheon, and he told this story about trying to get the, the guys not to drink. You know, he's work obviously he's a Baylor, doesn't want the guys going out drinking. And so he got a guy to come in that was from the biology department, and he poured a glass of water and a glass of vodka, and they put a worm in each glass. And in the glass of the water, the worm like swam around and got up and you know, they took him out and he, you know, squirmed around on the desk and he was fine. And then the one they dropped in the vodka just died almost instantly. And so Coach Taft points at a guy, and he said, all right, what do you think that, that means? And he said, Coach, I think that means if we drink that vodka, we ain't going to get none of them worms. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, my God, that's oh, great. that's great. So, anyway, but uh, that was good. John, um, to, the, to the NFL, uh, the first couple weeks now uh, in the books, uh, who do you think of the 0-2 teams as legitimately in trouble and who can get out of that hole? Well, you like to think Cincinnati, but two years ago, Cincinnati's 0-2 and went to the Super Bowl, but they didn't have 
Joe Burrow limping around with a bad calf muscle, and he was on the sideline sitting on a bench massaging the calf muscle with some contraption they had. And when he's doing that during a game, you know there's issues. Now, they should still be good. They're loaded with talent. But he, he's a pocket passer, but he can roll right and roll left. And it looks like he's going to have a problem with this because they can't pull him out. It needs R&R, and you don't get that till the off season. It's going to be just bad enough to affect his play. But that division right now, Baltimore's undefeated, and the rest of that division is a big disappointment as compared to the NFC South, which is supposed to be a pushover like the AFC South is, and yet you got three unbeaten teams. So there's a lot that can change. I've never seen two games. I remember when the Cowboys lost the two games when Emmitt Smith was holding out, then they won the Super Bowl. And so I, I think you can't judge two. Oh, by the way, speaking of the Cowboys, right now, Miami, San Francisco, and Dallas are the three best teams I've seen in the NFL. Can't wait to see more of them. You buying the Micah Parsons? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of comparisons being made. I know when they compare him to Lawrence Taylor, it's not exactly like he's Lawrence Taylor, but I mean, just how there's a lot of guys that come and go, John. As you know, you've covered some of them down in Houston, but where where is Micah Parsons in your estimation this early on in his career as far as where he could project uh, long-term? Well, one thing, if J.J. Watt finished second to Aaron Rodgers in the MVP when he had like 22 sacks and was Defensive Player of the Year, I think for a second of his three times, and it's hard. You know, it's always a quarterback. You know, would you take Micah Parsons right now with Tua Tungvaluwa? They have the best offense. And Parsons, I tell you, after this season, his contract's going to be better than Nick Bosa's. Nick Bosa's was better than Aaron Donald's. So the defensive players, if they can rush the passer, are going to cash in. And that Cowboy defense, as you guys know, is great. That pass rush is fantastic. Mike, they're, they're making Mike McCarthy as the play caller look good because the offense hasn't had to come from behind to win a game. But right now, Cowboys got it going on, and Tony Bollard looks good. So um, – I picked them to win the division, not to go to the Super Bowl. Philadelphia doesn't look as good as the Cowboys. It's a long time to go, but anything they do defensively start, starts with Parsons, and I can't believe that they're not doing to him what I watched the Browns do to T.J. Watt last night early on. Just take the tackle and the guard and make them block him, and then don't worry about anybody else. Yeah, the it, problem with the Cowboys, they got other people you got to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, got, they just have – that defense with Dan Quinn and, and also obviously the ownership administration, whatever pe- personnel department to put together, the speed is just crazy. Like this may be blasphemy, but do they have as much speed on the team right now defensively as what they had in the teams that won two out of th- or three out of four Super Bowls? Let me think. I thought you were going to talk about the Doomsday defenses with Tom Landry, and I'm thinking back to who the Cowboys had with Jimmy Johnson for the two and then Barry Switzer when he won one with Jimmy's players. They had great defense. They had some big guys, too. Yeah, They had the big space eaters. And now it's and they have those, but those big guys can run. They mm-hmm. can move. And the problem with Micah Parsons, they move him around. So you're not just going to line him up over the left side on the right side where they can have the left tackle and the left guard block him. And then when they light him up wide, the guard can't get over there anyway, so it's got to be a tight end or a running back. But he's like Lawrence Taylor. 
and Reggie White mm-hmm. and J.J. Watt. Those game plans for offensive coordinators start with trying. You're not going to shut them out, but to neutralize them and to keep them from dominating the game and make somebody else be the one who's going to be you. Very impressive. Very, very impressive. Uh, the Nick Chubb injury makes me wonder, does Cleveland just have a jinx? Is their whole franchise jinxed? You know, they haven't started 2-0 since 1993. And they had a good chance to do it last night. They were winning. Deshaun Watson has not played well. I'm surprised. Without Nick Chubb now, everything is on his right arm. He lost his cool twice with personal fouls, grabbing face masks. Never saw him do that here one time. Pushed an official. Never saw, saw that. You know, in the back of his mind or maybe the front of his mind, he knows everybody out there is thinking about all the sexual uh, lawsuits, civil suits that he had hanging over his head about his 11-game suspension. He set out the 21 season with the Texans, but the quarterback I saw in 2020 bears no resemblance to the quarterback I've seen in the first two games and that doesn't bode well for Cle- Cleveland, but it, the Texans love it because they have the Browns' number one pick. John, uh, your thoughts on what you saw from the Texans? I know it was a loss, but uh, what did you make of the Colts as well? Uh, and and C.J. Stroud's performance put up some big numbers, but but ultimately a loss in the end. C.J. Stroud, they got problems on this team on both sides of the line of scrimmage. He is not one of them. This kid played has played so well. He's on a pace to be sacked 93 times, 11 so far. He's been hit 19 times. He has not thrown an interception. He hasn't thrown one that was dropped. He has to take one and two-step drops and fire the ball on slant routes. His accuracy has been amazing, and he is off to a tremendous start. He had a touchdown pass taken away in this game. He was 30 of 47, 384 yards, 8.2, carried two touchdowns, and one was back and he was better than the first one. So Anthony Richardson ran with the two touchdowns. Then he got hurt, got a concussion, and went out. So right now, if you're ranking the three after the first game, I said Richardson, Stroud, and Young. And now I say Stroud, Richardson, and Young. And I watched Bryce Young last night, and he went to a better team. But as that team traded up to get him with the Bears, but he's struggling. Most rookie quarterbacks do. They're going to be – like a roller coaster, up and down, and we certainly can't judge a career based on a rookie season, much less two games. Thank you, John. As always, we appreciate you. Second, guys, John McClain, the Bears. Hall of Fame columnist with us on Tuesdays in the 530 segment. Here is a note. Craig brought up the ratings of the Colorado game with Colorado State. This is the ranking of the markets. Obviously, Denver is a big TV market anyway at the very top. Birmingham, which is a college football haven. New Orleans, Knoxville, we're talking down in the south and southeast. Tulsa and Oklahoma City, which is a rapid college football fan base. Memphis, Greenville, Atlanta. And it goes on and on down the list. SEC territory, southeast, of course, Dion played at Florida State. From the south, played at, coached at Jackson State. That is a list of those who are watching for a late-night game, which would have been in a lot of places East Coast. Well, then check our numbers in Birmingham. We're a college football podcast. I wonder how many people are watching in, in Birmingham. Don't talk enough about the Tide, Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, they always are right there near the top, so that's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, Denver, 
Uh, it's good that they're, you know, it's not just national, that he's got the local folks that are obviously paying attention, obviously very excited. I mean, how could you not be when, you know, the college shows are there basically every week now at this point and um, will continue to be. Uh, it's just it's, it's Hollywood out uh, out in the mountains right now for, for Dion and the Buffs, and it's uh, going to get tiresome for a lot of people, but if they keep winning, then there's no reason why they shouldn't keep getting more attention because it's just going to keep building and building and building, and I'm just, uh, you know, very – much I was wondering where where he can take this ultimately and you know what it looks like the rest of the way because the first month is not even over with and it's already been far beyond anybody's wildest imagination except for maybe the Sanders family um, but yeah it's uh it's already on a crazy start and we'll see where it goes but uh yeah they're they're pulling in huge numbers Garrett do you have Stephen Vaughn's uh, text to me is that available Stephen Vaughn 365 sports a viewer when you send those to me or you put them in the text line, we try to put them up. He said this is on – he's a Baylor guy. Upon reflection, I think unless Baylor finishes with less than three wins, Aranda deserves another year. After four non-COVID years, if the Bears make three bowl games in the four seasons, you could also keep uh, – you could also keep Dave Aranda. Three bowl games in five years and a Big 12 title should be the expectation. Thank you, Stephen, for watching the show. Good to hear from you. Thanks for your your opinion. I just don't think that. I mean, look, I I I'm not. I don't totally disagree with him there. I I don't I don't think that firing coaches is always the best thing. Sometimes you got to let somebody figure it out. But the the problem is is that things are moving so fast. Can you get the rest of the fan base to be as reasonable as that or as patient as that? I I don't know. And yeah. clearly, all it would take is just like throw black uniforms on, and everybody would shut up for like a weekend or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's. Um, but you know, I, I think they they're they're in a very tricky spot. But I don't think that you can just go willy nilly get rid of Dave Aranda, even though he's had some time. I understand that, but I, I mean, who who do you go and get? You go get Jeff Trailer. Are you are you convinced that that's going to be better? You know, in the long run, you think so? You think well, how could it be any worse? But guess what? There is worse. There is worse than winning the Big 12 title in year number two. There is, you know, and so um, I get it. We, we need to see where the rest of this year goes. Anybody trying to fire him in the first month is just is just doing it for clicks and views, I think, because it's not a realistic thing right now. It could be very soon. If they get beat by 50 by UT, then okay, let's have that conversation on Monday. But I think we need to at least get into Big 12 play a little bit. But I, I understand why there's that conversation, because the, there is just a very listless feel with this thing, no matter what anybody says. I just don't know that we, – like, we don't know the details of his contract. Are you writing oh, that $15 million check to, yeah. to pay his buyout well, or whatever it is? And speaking of that, Craig, Dave Aranda could have gone to, like, eight different places after 2021. Remember how many fans were like, oh, my God, he's going to go to Wisconsin. Oklahoma. He's going to go to USC. He's going to Oklahoma. It's LSU or whoever. I don't remember what it was. But there were a bunch of places. He showed loyalty, and yes, he also got an extra different. He got paid, but he showed loyalty, and I, I get what fans do. I get the frustration. I think it's not even the one and two, or even Texas State. It's it just looks like a team going through the motions, and that's not saying they're not trying. It just is like blah. Yeah, no, it's it's not cool. It's not cool in any way. They used to at least be cool, and they were cool, and they won games, and then you know, obviously. Uh, other things happened that were not so cool that uh, obviously tanked the program there for a couple of years, and Matt Rule helped bring it back up a little bit, and then Dave Aranda finished off the, the deal as far as winning a Big 12 title. Um, but I totally get the angst. I totally get the listlessness. I totally get the, the want for just something fresh and new. Um, but I don't think we're quite at the point of, like, 
if he doesn't do this, he's fired. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we are right there. I just I'm looking at it more from the administration standpoint. As fans, it's easy to say like, oh yeah, let's fire him if he doesn't win this. Are you paying the buyout? Do you yeah. have other options on the line that you know are absolutely going to be better? Do you have a guy that you know will come in and just dominate the transfer portal? Do you have, you know, like no, and so well, those are the to, things? Yeah, you go get the hot name, which they did in Dave Aranda, and they, 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 and he was sort of. the hot. Well, no, he he had some options. But I, I, I get what you're saying. He it's had, a lot easier said than yeah, done. Yeah, it's easier said than done. So, you know, I, it's, it's part of the deal, and there's a lot of other fan bases having those conversations too. But, yeah, I mean, if they win less than three games, then we'll definitely be having that conversation. I would just like to get a little further down the road and see, okay, are we halfway through and they've still won one game? All right, let's talk about that. Or have they? what if they beat Texas? Is everybody who's complaining right now going to be back on Monday complaining oh, about it again? I mean, no. that's, the, that's okay. the thing. What if they beat Tech for the second year in a row, considering that Tech's coach is one of the guys that Baylor fans wanted to hire. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, because of the energy level and the fact yeah, that, yeah. I mean, and, and who knows what they do in Morgantown. So, yeah, and that's yeah. not to dismiss Steven at all. It's just that, that that is very hot conversation right now, and I get why. But I just think we need to see a little bit more. And look, I know what we have seen is not good, but um, it's got to play out a little bit more before we start making, you know, calls on on head coach firings and things like that just my opinion thank you craig thank you paul we're not done paul catalina's top 10 top 10 we're going 10 today paul top five is next this is 365 sports unite private networks why unite private networks internet well here are the core differences it's business grade internet so they don't have residential customers it is your line it's protected fiber service it is just yours. It is dedicated and symmetrical upload and download and speeds up to 10 gigabytes per second. And we know here, lost internet is lost revenue. Look, we lost. Here's how good UPN is and how fast it booted up yesterday. You know, if you were watching right around this time yesterday, we lost power in the building for less than 10 seconds, but 10 seconds in electricity time means about four to five minutes in rebooting everything that we've got in this room, including computers and the internet. The internet was the first thing that came back online. A lot of times you wait and you wait and you wait, everything else comes back on, then the internet pops back on. That was the first thing that came back online. When the power came back on, we were back on the internet and we didn't have to worry about anything. And that speedy connection, I think, also helped us reconnect faster to our live stream and go on it was unbelievable we didn't we were shocked at how well it worked yesterday because we had not experienced that in this building before uh, they are fantastic white glove customer service you have a problem you call them it's dealt with right then you're not going on hold and hold and hold and waiting and i sat on hold many times with our previous provider i've lost Months of my life on hold with internet providers. That is not the case with United Private Networks. If you're here locally in Waco, uh, call Ace Wiggly, 254-803-7070, or go online to UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDI. I see an equal housing lender. 
In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa draft sun, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Next in line. It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top five Michigan State candidates. And honestly, Smokey, this list could have been 10. I didn't. I had left off Pat Shermer. No, we're not giving you I that left off, Yeah, I mean, I left off a lot of guys. Pat There's Shermer. a reason it's tough house. Yeah. Life. Pat Shermer would have been one I would have put on there. There's like four of the guys you could throw on this list because I really... Is Narduzzi on there? No, I didn't put him on there. Okay. I did not. I did not put him on there. Um, and he would have been, you know, in the 10. I, I think these five for certain reasons. Number five, Matt Campbell. There's clearly some frustration going on at Iowa State that we haven't seen before. Now, granted, he had an offseason from hell, losing his starting quarterback, his starting running back. This whole uh, gambling issue that they had is, you know, uh, is kind of unprecedented in that that this is going to start popping up more and more in college athletics. And uh, the state of Iowa just moves faster on it than any other state. And so he's had to deal with that. He's had to deal with some... He's had raised expectations at Iowa State that they have not been able to meet. And if Michigan State can look past some of the results on the field a couple of years and see a coach that's a, a good program builder, then Matt Campbell fits the Big Ten, he fits Michigan State, and he coaches the kind of football that Michigan State tends to lean towards. Yeah, he's a, a good coach that's in a rough spot right now with just what's all been going on now for the last couple of years. Um, but I don't think he's forgotten how to coach. I think that maybe – is he maxed out in Ames, Iowa? Is it just a string of bad luck? I don't know. I don't know what you want to point it to, but uh, he's obviously been mentioned for a lot of big jobs in the past. It seems inevitable that at some point he will make the jump. But is he as sexy of a name now? Like, would that be yeah. enough to, like, Michigan State fans go, ooh, Matt Campbell. If you had done that about three years ago, he'd be like, oh, heck, yeah. You do it now, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I guess it would 
depend on your options, but I could certainly see his name being brought up in the conversation for uh, a multitude of reasons. Number four, Jason Candle, who's at Toledo. Uh, this is an up-and-coming guy and kind of surprised. Well, I guess I'm not because I thought that they would, that USF, I thought he was going to get the USF job, but they went with Alex Golish. Uh, which I'll, I think also what you saw last week is Alex Golish can coach. He can he figured out yeah. a way to keep Alabama in the mud last week, yeah. and that's not even his real style of coaching. So uh, they did a good job there. But Jason Candle, another guy who I think is primed for a big job. He's done a good job at Toledo. He's there in the Midwest, so he knows the recruiting territory pretty well, uh, if not fantastically. But that is the, you know, maybe pull him up from another level uh, – Higher there with Jason Candle. Well, he also followed Matt Campbell yeah. uh, at Toledo, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he was uh, he was accustomed to uh, to follow Matt Campbell. So he now follows him on this list. So yeah. That's nice how that worked out there. But yeah, he's a he's a name that I've seen thrown around for these coaching searches. Uh, don't know him as well as like some of the other candidates that'll be mentioned, but I've definitely seen his name brought up quite a bit, and I uh, need to look more into him. Uh, yeah. Nick Saban happened to coach one year at Toledo. Yeah, Gary Pinkle. Coached almost a decade. Nick Saban also coached at Michigan State. And then Matt Campbell, yeah. Um, Number three, Sean Lewis. Uh, If you want the let's go out of the box in the Big Ten, and look, there are multiple schools going to the wide open offense, and this guy was a head coach at Kent State just a year ago and is now uh, part of Dion's resurgence at Colorado. I would think that Michigan State – uh, because they're the first major job to have an opening, uh, would have an inside track at getting uh, to somebody like Sean Lewis. Although, I don't know, even being the change office coordinator head coach, I might want to ride the Dion train just a little bit longer than a year. Yeah, I mean, he's been a head coach. I mean, yeah. that's what he was doing. But was it enough experience that you're like, yes, that'll be the guy that takes over Michigan State as a program? Yeah. I don't know. It might be a little bit too much. Uh, and there might just be enough other quality candidates that you still have in front of him based on what we've seen at this point. But, yeah, I mean, if you're Sean Lewis, uh, I think you can you can be picky uh, with what your next move is because you are red hot right now. And it seems to be that that will remain the case throughout the season. I don't think the offense is going to be what ultimately ails the Buffaloes. So I think that that will be uh, a constant throughout, and uh, he should remain a hot name. But, yeah, where does he rank experience-wise and and all sorts of other categories compared to others? I don't know, but he's definitely a name we're going to hear a lot about during carousels because of already what they've done in the first month at Colorado. Yeah, no, he came from a head coaching job at a school that's had pretty good history, Kent State, to become an offensive coordinator. I don't think he just did that for a one-year run. I think he wants to see how this goes for a couple of years. But what is Shadur Sanders' eligibility? He can go to the NFL next year. That's what I thought. There's actually a video out with Dion right now. He's at a Denver Broncos game, and it's Shiloh and Shadur in the press box, and he gets into a conversation with them where he basically tells them they're not allowed to go to the NFL next year. Um, and I forget what the gist of it was. I think it was because of, uh, I, I, think, I don't know, I forget what the, the exact reasoning was. It was like a jokey thing, but um, well, you he, know, he, the, the look on their faces was like, what do you mean? Cause he's like, power-ranking his kids, which is very yeah. funny. It's yeah. been out there. And Shadur, after those two games, was fifth, and I think Rich Eisen asked him, he's like, look, he just had the best game. You know, he threw for 500 yards in this game, and he's fifth, and he's like, yeah, because he might up and leave me next year and go to the NFL. So that's why Shadur is fifth in spite of being the second. Hey, Shiloh jumped up a couple of notches yeah. with that pick. They don't win that game without Shiloh the other yeah. night. Shiloh made a couple of huge plays yep. at the, the right time to keep them, you know, in a position to be able to make that game what it was. Yeah, without Shiloh, it Shadur doesn't have the big, you know, send-off there at the end, but – 
Uh, yeah, Sean Lewis is a red-hot name we're going to hear tons more about, but th- there was a cool little bit. I forget the exact context, but he was basically telling them, like, you're not going anywhere, yeah. um, and, you know, we'll see because they had a – are you kidding me? Look on yeah. their face. So that'll be an interesting decision coming up here in a few months. Yeah. Number two, Jonathan Smith. Uh, look, he's at his alma mater, and they're doing great right now. Oregon State and Washington State uh, might wind up being one of the best games of the week in the Left Behind Bowl. Yep. And, look, I, I could have put Jake Dykert on this list in the same spot just the same way because these are guys that now, depending on what happens with – Oregon State and how much money they're going to have available to pump through the program in the next couple of years. Look, I don't think any of these co- – like, no coaches really, you know, really want to leave a place that they like. You know, sometimes you get kind of tempted into doing it. But Jonathan Smith is an alma mater. He's got them going better than they have in a long, long time and, and consistently better. Uh, and he's an excellent coach. I just wonder – can Michigan State can clearly, especially if they get out from paying the $79 million they owe Mel Tucker for firing for cause, will have money to burn when they're hiring their coach. And this is someone who I think could shake up the Big Ten as well. Yeah, uh, the, Jonathan, I, I, that is such a great story. Won the Pac-12, and they took a beating for months, but self-inflicted. But Jonathan Smith at Oregon State and what they're doing at Washington State, that is I'm so happy for them. I really am. That doesn't mean anything's going to be part of their future. They're not going to be. I just, I'm just happy they both reacted and have played well, and they were supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, I'm happy for them too. I just hope that they keep it up, and I think that there's every reason to believe that they can. Um, but you know, I think he's a an underrated guy in the grand scheme of things. I don't know, you know, though how much the conversation generally brings him up. But I do think that just in passing, when I see he's mentioned occasionally, you know, in certain ways, but yeah. still probably not enough for what they've done at Oregon State. Uh, he's a he's a great coach. Uh, they're a fun program to watch. Um, and I'm super excited about what they've got the rest of the way because I think they're going to keep making a lot of noise. And I, I, do, I don't know, you know, how he stacks up in, you know, Michigan State interest, you know, his interest in them or their interest and vice versa. But I think any coaching job that comes up where, in theory, he could see a step up, his name deserves to be brought up by, by or at least looked into by just about everybody because I think he's the real deal. If you have an opening in college football, and you don't at least figure out whether or not he's interested or could there be interest in you, you, you're not doing your job. Yeah, absolutely. And number one, Mike Elko. Look, this is maybe too perfect of a fit in that you look at the way that Michigan State really likes to hire coaches, defensive guys, guys that like to play that hard-nosed football. Well, that's what Mike Elko is. Now, that's a little old-school Big Ten. They're, they're about to have, you know, they're about to have 18 teams coming in here, uh, and all of the teams that they have coming in are not going to run that same kind of old-school Big Ten thing. So that the only thing that would dissuade me from hiring a Mike Elko is if, you know, I want to maybe go the Jonathan Smith, Sean Lewis route when it comes to that style of football. But, I mean, look, there's been no more Big Ten-ish type coach in the last, especially old-school Big Ten, that's popped up that could fit more than Mike Elko and what he's doing at Duke the last couple of years. UT Parking, with USC and UCLA joining the crowded Big Ten, why is Michigan State a job that makes it even attractive? Other than money, I don't see the appeal. And, of course, I didn't read the last part. I responded with money. But then if you win there, then your options open up even further of what you can do and, yet again, more money. But UT Parking, good point. Yeah, look, they are 
they're not the, you know, if you go through the top 10 programs that have been consistently successful, I mean, they've, they've always been good. They've had a couple of really good years. They've never been great, great. You know, Michigan has, Ohio State has, Penn State has. Uh, and then you've got programs coming in like USC that have, and Washington, who have had great seasons and won national titles. So, yeah, it's, and the new Big Ten, it's going to be one of those ones in the, in the middle of the pack uh, as, as far as prestige goes. But, you're still going to be in the Big Ten. University's going to have a ton of resources. And if you have the right guy, then the middle of the pack probably doesn't seem like it did a long time ago. I mean, yeah, it's daunting, but uh, yeah. I'm not just caving to UCLA. Yeah. Like, they're just going to automatically be no, better I, than I, me. I, I didn't even include them. I'm not mind. even yeah. including you. I'm just yeah. saying in general. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that you just automatically put them in the middle of the pack just de facto. I mean, right now, based on what we've seen, sure. But I don't think that they're just necessarily right away behind all of the new entrance coming out of the Pac-12. I can see where, where you see that, but I don't know. Uh, Nick Saban thought it was a good enough job back in the day. Um, you know, plenty of other coaches uh, have had success there, and um, I, I realize it's not Ohio State or Michigan or whatever, but I don't know. I, th- I still think it's a top 30 to 40 job. Um, you know, maybe there's NIL things or stuff like that that puts it in a different category, and maybe I'm overrating it a little bit, but I don't know. I still think, I mean, it's in the Big Ten. It's it's you've got money galore. You've got uh, you know rivalries galore. You've got a lot of things going for you. So yeah, it'd be a daunting task. But I think that's that's what you want out of a big time job. As good as D'Antonio did there, uh, he won Big Twelve, Big Ten titles in ten, thirteen, and fifteen. But that was it. And then they've been kind of not through a dry spell. They yeah. had the winning streak against Michigan and Harbaugh, which created a lot of anxiety for I'm sure Wolverines fans, but. Yeah, they're they're kind of they have to get this one right. They thought they had with Tucker. They must get this one right, or they could just slip right into just being average. I will agree. It's not a destination job per se. It's not like the dream, like you hear that brought up the same way as like Lincoln Riley going to USC or something along those lines. I think the biggest deterrent to it though is not even so much the new Big Ten and that because you're going to be swimming in money. Um, and you just make the right hire, and you're right back there in the mix. But just as an athletic department, they feel like uh, you know it, it feels like there's a need to get some ducks in a row with uh, the couple scandals yeah, they've been they hit with cleansing. over the last few years. That yeah, yeah you kind of just need to get that reset, and then worry about the rest of it later. But I see where you're coming from. D'Antonio took the the, the Spartans to 12 bowl games in 13 years. That's a hell of a run, more than they've ever done before. Of course, there's now more bowl games than ever before. Well, it'll be a fascinating opening. I mean, there's those five, and then there's plenty of other guys that are, you know, going to be in the mix as well, and there will be other jobs that are going to open up too. So, yeah, it's about time for these top fives to start mentioning coaching carousels and Sparty's leading us off. So that'll be fascinating to see who they eventually go with. All right, thanks to everybody. Uh, those, a lot of chats today, but also, uh, I mean, of course, there's all going on in the chat room, but also some text messages, even a couple of DMs and Twitter Garrett Ross, thank you, sir. Levi Carraway, Emery Winter, Jack McKenzie. Back at it again tomorrow. Mac Rhodes will join us tomorrow. He was not available today. Uh, also, the Tyler Rose, Earl Campbell, will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Looking forward to checking in with him during the week of Baylor and Texas. For Paul Catalina, for Craig Smoke, and for you, thank you. Our great sponsors, I'm David Smoke. Good night on 365 Sports.
Ideal MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you while lowering the 